Hello, my name is Kevin Shields and welcome to the Cracked Real Podcast. This is episode 9 and part 2 of my top 100 films of the decade or the 2010s. Uh, last week's episode, or well, it's probably this week by the time I release this. I don't know, the, the schedule's all fucked up because I actually recorded that episode on a Friday. It didn't come out on Monday, so we'll see what happens. It ended up being fucking 3 hours, which was not the plan at all. So I'm going to attempt to do... The same number of films in a much shorter amount of time. Now, some of these films I've talked about before, so I'm going to give less attention to my description of them. Although, no, I think I can I think I think can do this in a reasonable amount of time. I'm going to aim for half the amount of time, but <laughs> it's very ambitious. And you'll have a regular episode then soon, because I've seen a few films, new films that I want to talk about, and some new stuff that's going on. Um... Which I'll probably be late with the news. Because bollocks. If you follow my Instagram you'll see some of the stuff I posted about. So I posted some images of the new Batman movie. That Matt Reeves is working on. There's some on set photos of Robert Pattinson. And the new Batmobile. Which looks like a muscle car from America. Which I think is pretty cool. But yeah. we're gonna. I'm going to do a quick recap of the movies that were mentioned last week. So as I said before. The, pretty much from 100 to 10. Or 100 to 11 is random and then the top 10 i've selected but then again a lot of these movies could have made the top 10 so it's i mean there is there's a selection movie said i probably would have been in the, the bottom 20 of this list but that's not a bad thing because like i said this is 100 movies out of thousands that i've seen so they're all brilliant movies don't get me wrong it's just that the the top 10 are ones i kind of handpicked with it I, pretty much everything leading up to the top 10 is eligible they're all eligible i don't I went about this really weird, but it, it saved me having to fucking try go. Oh, should this be at eighty seven or eighty six? It's, it's it saved a lot of uh, mental strain that way. So the top ten's more or less definitive, but they're all worth watching. Just get that into your head. Um, so we're gonna start off with a, just a quick recap of all the ones that I mentioned last week. So, and number one hundred is Nocturnal Animals, and number ninety nine is Animal Kingdom, and number ninety eight is What We Do in the Shadows, and number ninety seven is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. At number 96 is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. At number 95 is Isle of Dogs. At number 94 is Headhunters. At number 93 is Whiplash, one that actually could have made the top 10 that I, when I was recording it, I realised that. Number 92 is The Shape of Water. Number 91 is Avengers Infinity War, which again, that and Endgame are more or less neck and neck, but I decided to just pick the one. Uh, number 90 is The Old Man and the Gun. Number 89 is The Lighthouse. Number 88 is Blue Valentine. Number 87 is Shutter Island. Number 86 is MacGruber. Number 85 is Inception. Don't know why I read that word. 84, Toy Story. 83, I Saw the Devil. 82, Submarine. 81, Take Shelter. 80, Hobo with a Shotgun. 79, We Need to Talk About Kevin. 78, The Skin I Live In. 77, Shame. 76, Killer Joe. 75, Warrior. 74, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. 73, 21 Jump Street. 72, Holy Motors. 71, Killing Them Softly. 70, 12 Years a Slave. 69, Django Unchained. As I said, that should have been shame now that I think about the number. 68, Blue Room. 67, Only God Forgives. 66, The Borderlands. 65, Under the Skin. 64, Start Up. 63, Rush. 62, Train to Busan. 61, It Follows. 60, Wild Tales. 59, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. 58, The Grand Budapest Hotel. 57, Her. 56, The Master. 55, The Wolf of Wall Street. 54, Hyena. 
53, the house that Jack built, 52, Dread, and 51, the place beyond the pines. Ah, that was a mouthful. But now we're going to move on to number 50 to number 1. So, starting off with one that I, again, this list is more or less random from, uh, from after 10, but it's one that I talked about already several times, so I don't have to give a lot of attention to this. Y'all know I loved it. And that is a number 50, Joker, by Todd Phillips. Uh, I thought this film was fucking tremendous. I like that he went, and again, like, tremendous just sounds like a weird word to me now. Because uh, I use all these words all the time, and I, when I'm hearing it back, I'm like, fucking hell, I never stop saying them. But yeah, this film I thought was excellent. I thought Joaquin Phoenix gave a mind-blowing performance. Um, I thought Robert De Niro was excellent in it as well. He's kind of just playing an asshole, which he can do pretty well, uh, as well as doing a likeable character, but he's definitely an asshole in this. And... It takes a, it borrows a lot from a King of Comedy and Taxi Driver, which I think put a lot of people off. And it's a alternate universe version of the Joker that follows him. I, I don't know how old he's supposed to be, like late thirties, and how the system and the public and everyone have let him down, his family, and how people with mental illnesses are maligned and kicked to the curb, and no one gives a fuck about them, and he decides to don some joker makeup because he's a clown he's a working clown whose job is on the line as well there's a lot going on with this character and he decides to rise up and fight back against those who wronged him so it's kind of a it's a weird i suppose no i can't even call it revenge but it's, it's just more of a fuck you to the system sort of movie um excellent performances really nicely shot it's a digital shot movie but they weirdly enough did the opening titles in on film which is strange um, I can't say it's flawless I think it's absolutely fantastic but there is moments of CGI blood that are a bit irritating but the film itself the acting the tension the music everything about it is fucking stellar so I'd highly recommend this one so this is Joker oh it didn't even say the year it came out it came out in 2019 so last year and it was in my top 5 I think could have been at like number 6 or something it was in the top 10 anyway of my, my best films of 2020 or 2019 and yeah number 50 joker from 2019 and number 49 is one that i think i I keep forgetting whether or not this won best picture i know i was expecting it to win best actor and it didn't and then i felt really disappointed because i had to watch the tremendous actor who was more or less a shoe in fold up his speech and put it back in his pocket because he was kind of pre-celebrating and that actor is Michael Keaton and the movie is Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance from 2014, 14, fucking hell, 2014, directed by Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu. Um, this is a weird one because I think I mentioned this when I was talking about NC, or not NC-17, fucking hell. I've talked about certificates so much I don't even know how to fucking speak anymore. 1917, a film that came out this year in Ireland but I got to see it last year, World War One movie i mentioned it already it actually was originally in this top 100 but I, I bumped it out because there's just so much fucking good stuff the last decade but the whole movie is shot like it's all done in one take with hidden edits like now some of them are noticeable some of them i don't know how they got away with doing it but they're it's really stylishly made and it follows an actor who was known for playing a superhero but he's trying to make a serious comeback on in a broadway play and he's having sort of strange mental visions of his his former life and his former character but also just having all these issues with his his daughter and his 
ex-wife and all the other people who are working on the pro- on the play and just everything going to absolute shit basically and there's a great cast so you have Michael Keaton who who was he up against was that any Redmayne I can't remember now I think it might have been and I don't think he deserved to lose yeah I think it might have been Eddie Redmayne stole it from him but Michael Keaton anyway was fantastic in it Ed Norton is in it Emma Stone is in it Zach Galifianakis Naomi Watts Andrea Riseberg, and why can't I remember the other names there's loads of fucking people in it but the whole movie is just really fun it's obviously it's in New York so you have that's a setting that I always just get behind anyway it's really unusual it's funny there's a constant awkward sort of jazz score that plays over the whole film a lot of people found this film kind of wanky I didn't I thought it was really good really well fucking acted amazingly well shot and just completely unique and Inaritu is just in general one of the fucking best directors working out there so if you ever see his name attached to anything do watch it so this is actually I think this might be on Netflix I know it used to be and I remember the Blu-ray was going cheap although this is one that just has an annoying cover I know it kind of fits the movie but there's so many good amazing unique poster ideas for this movie and they choose that but yeah Birdman The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance from 2014 is number 49 and number 48 is probably one of the biggest cinematic head fucks I've had in recent years I remember when I first watched this film every fucking new scene that came about I was like hang on what and my head was just blown up from it and it was just one of the most strange bizarre impossible but unique and interesting movies that I had watched in a long time and I I threw this on I think the the Blu-ray does a bad way of describing this movie or has a bad way of describing this movie because I remember I was watching some movies of friends I said oh yeah I recommend this one they read the back of it I thought oh this sounds like it's going to be a, a thriller almost but it's not there's there's elements of sci-fi thriller in it but it's more of a kind of strange sci-fi drama for a lot of it and a bit of a romance drama the movie is from 2014 as directed by the Spierg brothers who are Germans I think uh, Michael Spierg and Peter Spierg maybe I just it sounds German so I'm saying that but I, as far as I remember they were German um, and this is a movie called Predestination and it's a sci-fi film that stars Ethan Hawke, Sarah Snook and Noah Taylor it's a hard one to describe because I, the less information I give about it the better but the general idea is that there is a bomber known as the Fizzle Bomber who's gone around obviously blowing things up all over the world but he's doing it through time travel so he might be going back in time to the 60s or something and blowing something up and you have this group of people who are determined to stop him so they send Ethan Hawke back to these different time zones or time lines to try track him down and that's more or less all the information I want to give about it although see that's the thing you're going to expect more of an action film because of that but that's not the case there's a there's a side not even a side story the main story pretty much follows this girl who's an orphan and is growing up and wants to be a what was it like a astronaut something similar like that <laughs> i can't even remember because it's it's a tough one to talk about but there's this these two stories and they collide and all the different timelines are important to each other that's that's all i'm going to say about it you know it involves time travel i wouldn't call it an action film if you're going and expecting fucking crazy i can't even think of it. all the time travel movies in the world have gone out of my head now that involve action <laughs> i don't know just 
go into this with an open mind expect something more on the romance drama sci-fi bit of action mystery side there's a lot going on in this movie it's very strange it's a complete head fuck there's moments you're going to be going holy shit how is this happening but it all works it all comes together really well definitely give it a go and there's a lot of kind of vi- well, I suppose visual nods to the kind of late 90s or mid to late 90s early 2000s kind of sci-fi movies that I've also borrowed from the stuff from fucking German expressionist fucking stuff so there's a lot of it reminded me a bit of um, Dark City there's visual elements that are similar to that but this one very unique very strange actually maybe the Spirit Brothers are Australian now that I think about it because I think this was shot in Australia and I think their last movie Daybreakers was in Australia as well I don't know but Predestination at number 48 from 2014 well worth a watch number 47 is one that for it was one of these movies that the second I saw I thought okay this is going to be my best of the year and it ended up not being that year which goes to show how strong the year for films was but this film left a serious impression on me because it's just so fucking amazingly well made it's probably the best LA has looked in maybe the whole decade in a movie other than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood but of course that's showing 1960s LA this is modern day LA and it's Dan Gilroy's 2014 movie Nightcrawler which follows a gaunt very strange and mentally empty no that sounds like he's stupid <laughs> uh, I suppose lacking empathy uh, Jake Gyllenhaal or Yilin Hooley if you want to get a technical which I think I mentioned before um, this follows him as a guy just who's very very determined when it comes to anything and he's I think he's a thief <laughs> I think he starts off as just some guy who like robs copper wire just to make money like he's he's a strange chap and I think he's actually robbing it to fucking sell this one but he wants to get a he wants to get a job anyway and he's very determined to get a job and will do anything and will work hard and all this but he has a lot of trouble doing it until he discovers the magic of ambulance chasing and recording footage of incidents whether it be accidents or crimes or events that happen and selling it to news stations so it's all about him trying to get into the world of crime journalism if you want to call it that but the lines between morality i guess are beginning to blur for him because even though he's only there to record these incidents and provide them to the news or any accidents that happen he begins to perhaps manipulate these things and that's as far as i'm going to go with it um so jake jenhall's in it gave one of the best performances he's ever given he's just so intense and in your face and it's just fantastic what he does Rene Russo's in it as this like TV news veteran that who who's pretty much getting all the footage from him and they have a weird bond he, he sees it more as a relationship she sees it as very uh, business uh, and Riz Ahmed which is one of the first things I saw him in I think it might have been the first but he's tremendous in this as well and Bill Paxton of course the late Bill Paxton has a, a brief appearance in this movie but his moments in it lead to some shocking scenes really fantastic really kind of positive nice music throughout which is a bit strange but this is just really unusual strange and intense and i just i was just blown away by it Uh, i've seen it twice maybe three times now and every time i'm just captivated by 
not only how fucking amazing LA looks in it, like it's the I think it's shot digitally as well, and it's just the best best looking film of LA I've seen in probably this decade or last decade. And obviously Jake Gyllenhaal's performance is fucking incredible and intense and I think I've already said that. It's intense and in your face and it's just a brilliant movie. So at number 47 is 2014's Nightcrawler. Number 46 is a strange... Well, I can't even call this a strange one. It's more just one that's flown so fucking far under the radar not enough people are talking about it. And I thought it was fucking riveting. And it's a movie from 2018 directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada and it's called Blind Spotting. And it stars David Riggs and Rafael Casal. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, these two lads, I think, are best mates in real life. And they wrote the movie as well. So all their interactions and dialogue feel so natural that it's almost like a documentary. And it's about this guy who, or played by David Diggs, named Colin. Who, he's only got a few days left on his probation before he can actually just start living normally again and his best mate played by Raphael Casal is named Miles and he's just constantly they well they both work together I should say and he's constantly getting him into trouble and potential dark situations and it's about their last few well not their last few days but the last few days of his probation in o- Oakland Oakland I think I'm saying that right Oakland fucking California I'm definitely saying that right yeah um but their last few days and the potential danger that's coming to them from decisions they've made before and the witnessing of some pretty insane police brutality and i I don't want to get much further than that but it's the way i'm describing it kind of makes it sound like it's a bit more serious it is quite serious there's dramatic moments there's a a moment towards the end which is kind of it catches it off guard but it actually works it's the kind of thing that could have been so preachy and stupid but it ended up being fucking amazing but the whole film is actually quite funny but mostly because these two characters have such a good rapport and it's so natural and uh, Raphael Casal is actually hilarious he kind of looks a bit like Josh Homme as well um, but the two of them just have amazing chemistry it just makes for some really intense funny moments and there's so many times throughout this movie you're you're worried that oh no something there's going to be some typical moment where he'll be walking around and the police are going to pull up and arrest him for no reason and you just you're always on edge throughout this movie and it's really fucking well directed really well written really nicely shot too and that's actually two movies from different parts of california that are really significant in terms of how they look because this movie just looks fantastic but yeah this one highly recommended really strong drama movie that just doesn't get nearly enough attention i think i had this as number 12 or 13 or something in my top 25 of 2018 i had obviously a bit of a bigger number then but yeah this was up pretty high and i remember absolutely loving it and i'm actually looking forward to seeing it again and i love the logo for it when the credits come up at the start of the movie and at the end of the movie it it looks kind of like the exorcist logo or something like that this is really nice purple font which looked great but yeah this movie tremendous and number 46 like I said, don't want to get in this fucking habit again of forgetting the numbers. Uh, Blind Spotting from 2018. And number 45 is one that I mentioned alongside, uh, what's it called, 1917. And I think when I mentioned 1917, I mentioned Birdman before. But this movie is an amazing movie that I, I do want to watch again because I've only seen it the one time. And I've reevaluated a lot of these movies where 
there's a gimmick attached that blows me away that a second time might not be as strong and like I said 1917 is kind of like that where even though I love the movie I think it's fantastic a lot of the love comes from how invested I was in the technical aspects this is a movie that could be similar every time I think of the movie I think how fucking amazing it is but I wonder now that I know what happens in it will it be as effective and this is a movie from 2015 uh, by Sebastian Schipper and this is a German chap I'm pretty sure Um, and it's called Victoria and the gimmick for lack of a better word with this movie is that the entire thing it's about two hours 20 minutes or so and it's legitimately shot in one take where 1917 and Birdman are made to look that way with hidden edits and a lot of movies do similar things this movie is legitimately two hours 20 minutes late night in Berlin following a Spanish young woman who meets a bunch of lads in a club and decides to hang out with them for a bit and gradually while there's a potential relationship well not relationship but a potential crush let's say building between her and one of the lads they end up getting involved in a robbery that's all i'm going to say about it i don't want to go any further but how they fucking pulled this movie off absolutely blew my mind there's so much little details that could go wrong and I'd say there's little mistakes that they probably kept in. Just words being jumbled up and whatever else. It just feels very natural. As far as I know it took three attempts to shoot this movie. And I mean that's kind of fucking amazing. Like you're Essentially I know there's lots of pre-production and practice. But you're doing your movie in like three days nearly. Because um, obviously they had it to do it between I think it's four in the morning. And just after six. Around that time. Or it could have been five or something. But it's how they achieved it is fucking amazing. The score is mind-blowing in it as well um it's the whole thing i just i just remember being absolutely captivated by this movie and thought it was one of the best i saw that year that was in my my list of top 20 i think i did a 25 that year as well but that was in it for 2015 and it's just absolutely amazing how they fucking did it i do want to watch it again i have the blu-ray here looking at me and i'm thinking i will watch it again soon to see if it is effective the second time but from what my memory is now it probably will be because i thought it was mind-blowingly good so oh by the way it's uh lala or laia costa is the girl and frederick lau is the guy i can't remember the, their names in it because it's been so long since i've seen it but i just remember how much i thought the movie was fucking amazing but yeah one to definitely check out it's called victoria from 2015 and i think it was on netflix whether it still is i don't know so that's worth checking and number 44 is one that i know was top of the list for a lot of people i know nearly anyone who saw this movie said yeah this is the best of the year uh and of the decade a lot of people said this is their favorite of the decade as well i absolutely loved it but it isn't my favorite of the decade obviously because it's all the way back here it's one that i suppose was highly anticipated when when i first saw the trailer i was like okay i cannot wait for this movie this looks like it's right up there with the second movie uh, if you haven't guessed it by now, it's George Miller's 2015 movie, Mad Max Fury Road. Starring Tom Hardy, Charlize Theron, and Nicholas Holt would be the biggest names you probably know there. And Zoe Kravitz, I suppose. And Riley Keough has an appearance too. And what's his face? I can't remember the guy's name who fucking <laughs> was in the first Mad Max movie. The movie takes place in a, I don't know whether it's meant to be a continuation of the Mad Max story. Or is it's just another story in this world because you don't really get a, a full idea of the world beforehand it doesn't f- exactly feel the same way as what you've seen in mad max 2 or 3 but it does 
feels like it belong in, belongs in that world. And you're following Charlize Theron, who is... Oh, I suppose there's actually a lot going on in this to try break it down. But the basic idea is Charlize Theron is rescuing a bunch of wives from this crazy... What do you call him? I wouldn't even call him a dictator. He's just a crazy leader who is in control of all the water... And has all these beautiful young women that he uses as pretty much baby making machines. And Shalice Ron is a one-armed badass in this movie who just has had enough of it. And is like, alright, I'm going to go fucking rescue these. She actually works for him. This probably sounds like a spoiler, but you discover what's going on within fucking 10-15 minutes of this movie starting. Because this movie works. <laughs> the pace of this movie is, there's no fucking slow moments at all. The movie just begins and it's just a constant intense barrage of fucking visuals action explosions and chasing to the very end it's like it's over two hours as well it's just constant and how he achieved that is mind-blowing as well but she's obviously on the way here and max himself who if you know max in the other movies is just a fucking well he's not as uh silent in the other movies but in this movie he speaks barely any words and he's just there as a helper he helps in the second movie and the third movie and in this movie he's Yet again, getting involved in a situation where he's not at the forefront, but he's going to help. And the whole movie is just mind-blowing. Like, the way they actually did so much of this practically. I mean, there's, there is digital moments in it, but they're mostly there to tie everything together. Because some of the biggest, most incredible explosions in this movie were all done for real. All in the desert, loads of stunts, actual cars flipping over, and just crazy carnage from start to finish brilliant score really intense and i know there's a there's a version called black and chrome which is just a black and white version of it that george miller wanted to release and eventually came to blu-ray i haven't watched that version of it yet i'd be interested to see but it'd be such a stark contrast because this is one of the most vibrant looking movies you'll ever see you see teal and orange like i mentioned before in posters that has become overused the whole movie feels like that but not in an ugly eyesoreish way in a way that looks really visually appealing and this was a movie uh, i think is a good tester for if your tv is fucked up or not because i mentioned probably in my second episode when i was talking about the likes of hdr and uh your tv settings all that motion smoothing stuff this movie is i'd say a good 85 percent practically made and cgi done for certain bits and pieces that would have been impossible but when i tested this out on my latest tv because i hadn't had the settings right everything looked like cgi that goes to show you need to fucking pay attention to what you're doing with your TV. But this movie, absolutely fucking jaw-dropping. Tom Hardy gives a great performance, but Shalice Theron steals the fucking spotlight for the whole movie. Really intense, amazing score. I'm repeating myself, but yeah, go see this movie. Although you've probably seen it. I don't really know anyone who hasn't seen Fury Road. Because it was, I mean, it was the biggest fucking movie ever. And I think it won a shitload of Oscars as far as I remember. And George Miller seems really humble and friendly and hasn't aged a fucking day in 35 years, but... Yeah, at number 64, am I right there? No, not 64, what am I saying? 44. Jesus, I thought I was going to make it and not fuck up, but I did. So number 44 from 2015, George Miller's Mad Max Fury Road. And number 43 is definitely a divisive one. One that I know uh, Joe from the Lazy Dads fucking hated, but I loved, and we had a, a brief argument about it on one of the lazy dad's episodes and uh, this is one from just one of the most audacious 
incredible fucking directors I've ever seen who I would have actually had one of his other movies in this but it was released in 2009 I was thinking was it actually released then uh, but the director is Gaspar Noe and this is his movie from 2018 Climax I got to see this in the Lighthouse Cinema in screen 3 which is possibly the smallest screen that they have like it's it's the kind of thing that you'd expect someone who has a cinema built into their house would have it's really small really cosy one of my favorite screens it's actually my second favorite screen in the place uh, out of four but to see it on such a big screen or such a small screen no how am i saying this a big screen in such a small room let's say was a complete fucking assault on the senses and just the tension throughout is fucking palpable the plot of the movie is a bunch of dancers in the mid 90s who are practicing for an up and coming event are rehearsing in a a school that's closed for the summer and although this like it's like a boarding school because there's a uh, rooms and stuff and if to people to sleep in and they're just doing this amazing choreographed dance scene and the opening of the movie is actually just this tv it's about 10 minutes introducing every character it's like their audition tape to be part of this dance troupe and you get an, an introduction to what all these characters are like and uh, I, I know <laughs> some people don't like that shot as well because the opening shot is just of this tv for 10 minutes but either side of the TV is like a stack of movies that inspire Gaspar Noe and all the books that he liked on either side of it. So I, I think a lot of people were annoyed about that, but they gave a free pass to Jordan Peele for doing the exact same thing in Us. But yeah, so you're introduced to all these characters and then it's them practicing on their night out. They're celebrating and like, oh, we had such a great practice, whatever else. Let's all drink some sangria. But unbeknownst to them, it's been spiked with serious heavy duty LSD and you essentially witness there everyone in this dance group having severe psychological mental breakdowns mostly while dancing and what i thought was so fucking good about this movie is well first of all it's almost entirely non-actors they're all actual dancers who just gave 110 percent other than sophia butella who she actually i think she choreographed a lot of it herself for real she did all her own dancing obviously but she's the for lack of a better word, the main character who you you followed through all this. You're kind of seeing a lot of it from her perspective. And it just has people having the most chaotic meltdowns, relationship things coming to front or to fruition, if that's the word. But it's it's paced weird. So you've the, the first, I mean, the opening scene is one of the best things I've ever fucking watched in the cinema. It's a, it's a choreographed dance scene which must come on for like 10 minutes. And it's all one take and incredible how they pulled it off. Then it's just them getting to know each other. And then you have these this big middle section of the movie, which is just all these characters in different conversations. And it might be about 15 minutes of that, of all these characters just talking to each other. All these lads saying fucked up shit about girls they want to fuck. And all these girls talking about all the lads they want to fuck. And it's, it's all very... A lot of sexual oppression from everyone in there. Because they've all been working together for so long. They're all just like, oh, I want her, I want him, whatever else. And through the taking of this drug they all start to break down and then all of the stuff they've spoken about just comes out in very physical form and that's the best way i want to put this movie but as you know it's gasper now so things go very dark fucking places i think if you're expecting something as dark as irreversible i stand alone or maybe even edge of the void you're not going to get that level but this is just more total oral visual assault of a movie and just how they how we made it is just beyond me i think it's fucking incredible 
the dance sequences are fascinating and uh, again more stuff that people weren't, didn't really get on board with that i thought was deadly is his opening and i suppose closing credits and just credits throughout the movie because the movie starts with opening credits in reverse then you have the movie starting and then you have credits maybe about 15 minutes in and then about an hour in you've credits <laughs> that appear and i just thought the way it was it, it almost breaks the movie up into chapters i just thought it was fucking brilliantly done amazing music it's all kind of 90s dance music and remixes of 70s classic music which have actually been redone for this movie just to beef up the soundtrack and it's just i think it's fucking fantastic and arrow video did a lovely special edition of this movie with a great slipcover uh which i picked up very very early on uh, i spent a full price for it unfortunately because they, they had copies gone for a while but it was worth it because this movie is outstanding and like I said, if Enter the Void had been released in 2010, this would have been, that would have been included on the list as well as this. Uh, so, Gaspar Noe's 2018 movie Climax at number 43. And number 42 is one of two movies from Yorgos Lanthimos that I'm going to include. One of them which you might expect to be here, which isn't, uh, though I really enjoyed it, is The Favourite. I thought that was great. But it wouldn't make my top 100. But this movie is the first one of his movies. Oh no, it's actually not the first movie of his I saw. The first movie of his I saw was actually Dogtooth. But this is the second movie I saw. And it was the one that had left a, a great impression on me. And it is 2015's The Lobster. This is one of the most bizarre, high concept, crazy, unusual movies. Which is shot primarily in Dublin. And I think Kerry. Is it Kerry? killer or something it's, it's it's a lot of it is shot in ireland and i mean you've a fucking huge cast you've got colin farrell rachel vice leah sado ben wishaw john c Riley, and olivia coleman making appearances and there's a lot of other people you'd recognize in here too michael smiley has an appearance and the whole movie is just so unusual it's probably the most deadpan fucking comedy movie you can find like it's probably close to that would be Oh, I'm not even going to remember this guy's fucking name now. But he did this movie called... Uh, is it A Bird Sat in a Branch Reflecting on Existence or something like that? I only watched it a few years ago. But it's all these weird vignettes. Uh, really, like, they're probably the driest, most greyest deadpan humour you could ever find. This movie is a bit more structurally strong, narrative-wise. But it has that same level of just really strange, but also really jet-black deadpan humour. Um... Uh, it's in a dystopian future where, according to the laws of this city, if you are single, you are taken to this hotel where you have, I think, 40, 45 days to find a partner or you'll be transformed into an animal of your choosing. So if you don't find love within 45 days, you are to pick an animal and then you'll be turned into it where you can just roam the world free <laughs> or roam the woods. So it's very bizarre and you're following Colin Farrell. I think he's recently widowed and this is him on his journey to potentially find love. And it's just one of the most unique, strange, bizarre, dark. There's some ugly, fucked up moments in it. But it, overall, it's just made me go, this movie is fantastic. I absolutely loved it. You're never, you, you'll never have seen anything like it. It is completely unique. And that's why Yorgos Lintimos is one of the best fucking directors I've watched. Uh, he has a movie I've 
saw or haven't seen yet called Alps that I really want to check out. Uh, but Dogtooth, completely unique, really fucked up. This, unique and fucked up. And the next movie, when I get to it, is also unique and fucked up. But uh, for now, 2015's The Lobster by Yargos Lentimos and number 42. And number 41 is a significantly more uplifting, nice, friendly, family, fun kind of movie. And that is from Pete Doctor. And it's from 2015 and it's called Inside Out. It's a Pixar, Disney Pixar movie. And this one just really left a fucking strong impression on me. I mean, the opening short film, I think, for this, because they always have a short one, was, I think, the Volcano one, which is based on this couple... I think they're a Hawaiian couple who sing love songs and they basically animated one of their songs I think into a the story of a volcano. Was he fall over with another volcano? I don't remember. But this one is about a little girl who's moving, or I think she's meant to be like 10 or so, around that age. Just at the, the Actually, it might be a bit later, later than that. I think she's 12. She's moving into the adolescent side of her life. And her family have moved to San Francisco and the move is such a big change for her and you get to experience this from all the different emotions that live inside of her head. Uh, I think there's joy, anger, sadness, fear and disgust and you, you have all these different emotions in her head that are all different characters and it's all the stuff that they get up to in trying to keep her on a emotionally strong level so it's it's a really unique interesting idea it's basically a way to describe or not describe i suppose explain to kids how your emotions work and how they can affect you and the importance of looking after them i guess and it's just really fucking smart really well done great cast as well you got amy poehler richard kind phyllis smith mindy kaling bill Hader, lewis black the legendary kyle mclaughlin and diane lane and Again, another heap of people. Frank Oz, Flea, whatnot. Lots of people. Uh, just totally unique. I thought it was fantastic. I just mean, all the Disney Pixar stuff tends to work for me. Even the weakest movies in those collections are actually all quite enjoyable. But this one, I remember being really strong. Actually saw it in a triple bill that day, I think. Wait a minute. I think I might have saw fucking Mission Impossible or Southpaw or something like that. So had a really uh, emotional mix-up in terms of uh, the, the kinds of movies that were being watched that day but I, I thought this was absolutely fantastic one of the best animated films of that year or of the decade as well but overall just fantastic and I would highly recommend it I kind of did a gammy job explaining that but <laughs> fuck it all you need to know is that you need to fucking watch all these movies that's all I'm going to say this appeals to everyone it's good to watch with kids to give them an understanding of emotions and everything else and it's fun it's really entertaining and funny and it with usual Pixar stuff, they know how to tug at heartstrings where they need to. Um, so yeah, 2015's Inside Out at number 41. And number 40 is one that I think people who know me well enough probably thought this might make my top 10. And it nearly did, but obviously it didn't. And this is the second of two Jeremy Saulnier movies that are on this list. The first being Blue Ruin. And this one is 2015's although 2016 is when it got released here so 2016's green room people tend to mishear that as well when i say blue ruin and green room there it's ruin and room two different words because everyone's like oh is he gonna do red room next what the fuck are you talking about but yeah this movie is just like blue ruin the, the movie i've always wanted to make the movie i've 
always come up with in my head and always thought I'd love to see it. And now I fucking finally got to see it. Because it has all the elements that I appreciate in it. So it has extreme, vicious, nasty, brutal violence. Characters you give a fuck about. Some funny dialogue. A lot of metal music. Mostly punk music though. And just unrelenting, bleak tension. All that stuff just comes together and creates one of the fucking finest thrillers of the entire decade. I've watched it just according to my letterbox here. I think I've seen it six times, five, six times since it's come out. And I saw, I think I saw it three times in the cinema because <laughs> I just thought it was so fucking good. Um, and I only recently got the Blu-ray. I wanted to get it with a slipcover. It sadly didn't have it, but uh, it also didn't have the artwork I wanted. The main artwork is, is made to kind of look like the London Calling album cover, but with a machete instead of a guitar. But the general plot of the movie is a punk band are supposed to play a gig but it ends up getting cancelled because of some violation on the the campus. Something to do with the campus and how bands aren't allowed to play there anymore. So the guy who set them up says look I can set you up with a gig. It's going to be a good bit down the woods and it's for a bunch of neo-nazis. But if you go in there and you just play some hard music and get the fuck out of there you'll get paid cash in hand fine whatever else. But they get down there and unfortunately while they're in the green room they witness a murder which then leads to them being trapped in the green room with a whole horde of violent fucking Stanley Blade carrying, machete carrying neo-Nazis who are intent on killing them. And they are led by none other than Patrick Stewart. And I think that's one thing that's going to surprise people on this is to see Patrick Stewart, probably one of the nicest, friendliest lads in the world playing a violent reprehensible fucking emotionless neo-nazi leader uh you had the late great anton yelchin in there this was one of his last movies i don't think it was the last at least the second or third last movie he did before tragically passing away in 2016 i think it was and you have imogen poots alia shawcat joe cole who i'm really looking forward to seeing in uh gangs of london the new series by garrett evans uh, or yeah Gareth Evans and who else oh Macon Blair of course is in there too who he seems to work with Jeremy Sonley all the time and he's brilliant and everything I've seen him in this movie is just so smart so tense every moment you think okay I know what's going to happen here doesn't happen any idea you're like why are they doing this they then try that thing that you thought about it's like they're it's like they're expecting the audience to ask these questions of why aren't they trying this but they are going to try it they try it eventually and not everything works. Because I like the human error that he writes into his movies. And this movie is laden with it. They're in a situation where you have to think. I'm in that situation. How would I get out of it? And everything you come up with is not going to work. You don't know what's outside the room. You have to think about it from their point of view. And the movie just does such a great job. At making the characters smart. Making them think. And making things not work out. And it's just rife with fucking tension. Some of the best set pieces I've seen. And some violence in it that is stomach turning and i remember when i was at the it was at the jameson festival i think it might have been audi festival at this point some of the noises i heard coming from the audience <laughs> after some of the violence in this movie was tremendous so definitely check this one out it makes a great companion with blue ruin even though they're both different movies but they both are tonally similar and yeah jeremy Sonley, his, his movie did after this whole the dark was good i didn't love it but there are moments that are fantastic in it. But either way, he is one to absolutely watch. And he worked on uh, season 3 of True Detective. So, with his name attached has me on board. So, number 40, Green Room. 
I'm going to try to speed this up a little bit because <laughs> I'm still fucking talking here. I thought I'd be flying through these a bit more, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I still want to describe these movies, but I don't want to get stuck talking about them like I have been. So number 39 is from Denis Villeneuve and he's on here a few times, which you're going to see. And it was this 2015 intense thriller called Sicario, where you're following Emily Blunt as an FBI agent who is assigned to a task force um, against the drugs over the border between the US and Mexico. And she's on a force with Josh Brolin and Benicio Del Toro and is starting to learn that these lads might not be what they're cracked up to be in terms of their moral compass and what they'll do to get things done. And it's just fucking rife with tension. Some of the, the action set pieces in this movie had my heart in my mouth. Brilliantly directed by Denis Villeneuve. The cinematography is incredible. Of course, Roger Deakins is involved in that. So you can expect brilliance. And uh, Johan Johansson uh, did the soundtrack. Or the score, I should say. Uh, which is just fucking incredible. And it's really sad that he's not with us anymore to to bring more amazing scores. Because this movie is just fucking... This is the, I think this might be the first thing I saw him do. And it just blew me away. Uh, you obviously have John Bernthal, Daniel Kaluuya involved there as well. Jeffrey Donovan. Lots of people showing up in this movie too. All these movies will have characters you recognise, unless I say otherwise. But yeah, just amazing performances. Quite unique. There's a scene involving... Several scenes, actually. So many scenes in this movie are just so intense. One involving night vision, another one involving the traffic across the border. That's all I'll say about it, but it's fucking so intense. And there's a sequel to it, too, called Soldado, which I thought was really good. I didn't like it as much as this. It's, it goes in a very different direction. It feels like a different creator behind it, but it does feel like it's in the same world and you're following some same characters. Uh, and I think there's a third one coming too, which I'm looking forward to, but this one, Sicario, outstanding. And number 38 is one that you'd nearly expect Spike Jones to have made, um, but he didn't. It's Charlie Kaufman who actually directed it with a guy named Duke Johnson. And Charlie Kaufman obviously has worked with Spike Jones, and they have... The reason I'd say Spike Jones is because it's the kind of thing he would make. It's the kind of thing Charlie Kaufman would write. So immediately you look at it and you go, it's got to be one of them. And it was. Uh, there are three people in this entire movie, even though there is hundreds of people. It's called Animalisa, and it came out in 2015. And it's a stop-motion movie done with these amazingly detailed puppets. And it's about this inspirational speaker who he goes to a hotel across the country... Obviously he's a family at home whatever else. And while he's there he meets eyes with this woman played by Jennifer Jason Lee. Although I didn't say the guy's name. It's David Toulis is playing him. And they have a potential spark of love. But everybody else in this movie is voiced by Tom Noonan. Whether it be man, woman or child. They're all voiced by Tom Noonan. And that's to give this idea of how monotonous everyone is. And how ununique everyone is. If that's a word. But it makes Jennifer Jason Lee stand out more. And it's about this weird, surreal, nightmarish love story of these two coming together. And it's I remember just being so hooked into it. You really care about characters, even though they're fucking puppets. And it all looks really real. It's just a really nice movie, but also really just sad and bleak. And there's a lot going on in it. Like, it, it goes... It, it would make a good companion with the rest of his movies, let's say. More so... Uh, being John Malkovich, but Animalisa from 2015, really unique, really fantastic, and on Netflix as far as I remember, and number 38. 
And number 37 is another from the fantastic Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu. And this is actually the last movie Emmanuel Lubezki shot until... Oh no, am I wrong there? I have to check this guy's... Because I keep mixing these fucking cinematographers up. Yes, it was him. Because I, I mix him up with fucking Hoyt Van Hoyt all the time. Emmanuel Levesky is the last movie he shot until the next movie he's going to be doing with David O. Russell now, which I only heard today. Um, this movie is called The Revenant. And it is another one of these movies that is just so technically amazing that it's hard to think will hold up on a second watch. And I watched it a second time and it does. But it's still a movie that is just, it's, it is an undertaking. It's ultra, ultra slow burn incredibly shot with amazing long takes and it stars Leonardo DiCaprio in his Oscar winning performance it was the first Oscar he won everyone thought it'd be for Wolf of Wall Street it ended up being this and he deserved it because he gave 3000 fucking percent into this role to the point where he nearly got hypothermia and fucking pneumonia and ate real bull hearts and all kinds of shit or, or buffalo hearts but the movie takes place in the 1820s and he's a frontiersman a real guy named Hugh Glass and he goes to get revenge on the people who left him behind after he was viciously mauled by a bear. And you have people in this such as Tom Hardy, Donald Gleeson and Will Poulter. Who, as I mentioned before, the actor with the eyebrows. This movie is just an incredible visual fucking assault. And it's just intense and full of amazing action set pieces that are near impossible to pull off. The actual bear attack scene is one that was unfortunately turned into a meme where everybody assumed that he got arse raped by the bear and unfortunately that fucking hurt the movie a lot because everyone was saying oh that movie sounds stupid he gets raped by a bear it's like he doesn't he gets attacked by a bear in one of the most grueling realistic and horrible depictions of a bear attack i've ever seen and it's all done digitally how they managed to pull that off is fucking beyond me but every part of this movie is shot with real natural light in this specific part of uh fuck where was it it's not alaska i don't think somewhere anyway where there's only like four hours of daylight a day and they had to do it all in that and it's just how they pulled some of this off is beyond me and the cinematography is incredible too but there's nothing like it out there it's really intense but it is a slow burn it's one that you have to make sure that you're very very awake for because there's moments you'll be watching it for like five whole minutes of him like building a fire or something like that and while it is engrossing you're kind of like oh shit i'm fucking i'm kind of falling asleep nearly (laughs) so it it is a slow burn don't get me wrong but it is an incredible one and i highly recommend it so at number 37 the revenant from 2015 and number 36 was a surprising this is probably the most surprising best picture i had seen until this year with uh bong joon ho's parasite or Ooh, Boon Jong Ho. Did I say it right? Bong Joon Ho? I always mix it up. But when this came out, everyone was expecting something else. What it is, I can't remember. Could have actually been The Revenant, now that I think about it. I think everyone was expecting that to win Best Picture, and this ended up taking it. And it is a fantastic movie from Tom McCarthy from 2015 called Spotlight. I might have said that already. I can't remember. But this movie is about the boston globe and how they uncovered a huge scandal into child molestation within the catholic church and this is set in 2000 i think or 2001 around that time and this is what really blew open the whole pedophile priest thing because 
up until then no one really thought about it priests were just the the people he invited over for a cup of tea all that kind of shite but there's a huge horrible seedy underbelly that no one talked about in movies no one really ever went for like it, most movies that would have it to do with this it would be done maybe a comedy sort of way but this movie obviously it's a new movie it's just take place in the early 2000s investigates how they discovered all this how they went about exposing it and the effect it had on people and it's just i think consider all these people heroes that they're they're based on because they blew all this wide open and showed that the catholic church is full of absolute fucking scum and uh yeah let's leave them behind but the movie stars mark ruffalo michael keaton rachel mcadams lee schreiber john slattery stanley tucci and billy crudup as well as a whole heap of other people that you definitely recognize but how this is put together is just fucking superb amazing entirely dialogue driven fantastic drama it's a it's a movie if you know what happened with the boston globe you know where it's going to go i mean it is history history movies you you tend to have an idea where it's going to go it's rare you're totally surprised but it's the journey getting there and the performances around it that are just jaw-dropping mark ruffalo in particular gives a fucking amazing performance in this movie as one i think should be seen by everyone and it is on netflix so definitely give this a look it's tom mccarthy's spotlight from 2015 at number 36 and number 35 is one that became a surprising colossal i mean huge fucking hit to tell the story of one of the most influential rap groups in history who are so influential i think they're in the rock and roll hall of fame as far as i remember uh this is f gary gray's or yes i always read his name weird f gary gray's straight out of compton from 2015 and this follows the story of nwa I won't say what that stands for because I'd like to keep this podcast, but you can Google it. This was the group that started the careers of Dr. Dre, Easy e and Ice Cube. Mostly, they're the biggest people who are involved in it. Obviously, Dr. Dre is now probably the richest man in rap at the moment. He just owns everything. He owns Dre Beats. He's just one of the most legendary producers you've ever heard, as well as one of the best rappers out there. Although, I won't get into rap now, but obviously... Uh, my opinion on rap has changed over the years. I don't, I don't like a lot of modern rap. But the, the era that this came out in and the importance of it is what I love. Amazing performances in this movie too. Corey Hawkins, uh, Jason Mitchell, uh, Marion Yates Jr., uh, Aldous Hodge, if you can read that right, uh, Neil Brown Jr. But the, the standout for me is O'Shea Jackson Jr. And that is actually Ice Cube's real son playing ice cube in this movie to the point that you actually just forget that it's not really ice cube you think it's just like footage of him from 87 and it shows there how they all got together how they all wanted to fight against the system and the police brutality and just even just general police behavior if you want to put that way and how their music inspired a rise up against this stuff and a new hard edge type of rap music that fought against the system and it's amazing like because it, it plays out like a typical music biopic which is yeah it's fine oh actually lakeith stanfield and what's his face is in it paul giamatti forgot about the two of them um uh, yeah it plays out like a typical music biopic but it actually has this almost a thriller crime thriller feel to it for some of the stuff that's going on and what they've inspired and it's just absolutely fantastic it's about two and a half hours i actually have an extended director's cut i haven't watched yet which i think bumps it up to near three hours if I remember correctly, which I must actually get around to watch it because I've been dying to watch it again. But it's—I remember fucking thinking it was just fantastic. Really, something that 
I didn't expect to be as brilliant as it was and it just blew me away and again it's set in the era of rap music that I love the most like the late 80s early 90s late 80s early 90s and it's good too if you've seen the documentary The Defiant Ones which I'd totally recommend which is based on Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine obviously produced a lot of amazing rock albums back in the 70s and he's one of the most influential producers out there but himself and Dr. Dre got together to I think they pretty much started Dre Beats like they were the people behind that and struck the deal at Apple but it, it, it shows their perspective careers leading up to this moment but you get a really good insight to Dr. Dre's not only contribution to the rap scene back in the 90s and the 80s but how accurate all the stories in this movies are now this movie does leave out a pretty important thing where Dr. Dre beat the living shit out of a woman named Dee Barnes and they they kind of left that out of this. It shows a lot of the ugly side of what went on with this this group and these characters but it left that out and I think, I mean I know he produced the movie but you should have at least, at least kept it in, own up to your fucking mistakes. But anyway, fantastic fucking movie, thoroughly recommended, F. Gary Gray's Straight Outta Compton from 2015 at number 35 did I say? Let's check. Yes, 35. And number 34 is one from, as you know, one of the greatest fucking directors to ever live, Mr. Steven Spielberg. And this movie was from 2015, and it's called Bridge of Spies. And I just remember being fucking blown away by this movie. Written by the Coen brothers, which is an unusual uh, trio of people to have behind a movie, but a fucking great one, because the dialogue is really sharp and smart and good in this movie. And... A lot of the time, Cobra's written stuff doesn't come across as well. Um, except Bad Santa, which I love as well. But this movie stars Tom Hanks, and he is a New York lawyer who is sent over to Berlin to negotiate the release of an American who was in a plane shot down by the Soviets. And in return, he is going to arrange the release of a Russian spy that the Americans have caught. And it stars, as I said, Tom Hanks and Mark Rylance plays the the Russian spy. And you've loads of people in this. You've got well, Billy Magnuson. I think he plays. I can't remember whether he plays the spy who's or the pilot who's cop. Alan Alda's in it as well. Amy Ryan, and just some of the most fucking fantastic performances that I've seen in a long time. Mostly just down to Tom Hanks and Mark Rylance. They are absolutely blinding in this movie. I think. Did Mark Rylance win supporting actor that year? God, I, I forget. I tend to delete the Oscars from my head after I watch it, so it's hard to remember. But he was just fucking incredible in that film. And it's one of those movies where there's a sort of. I think I mentioned before, it's like enemies that have a, a mutual understanding and friendship with each other. And it's just. It works so brilliantly. Obviously, it's Spielberg, so it looks amazing. The, the technical quality behind it's going to be fantastic. It's funny, smart engaging and intense with an amazing score i think it's thomas houston houston thomas newman oh, it's totally wrong there um fantastic score it's really good <sighs> patriotic's not, not the right word but just inspirational enjoyable music that just suits this movie so well it's just it's total comfort viewing the kind of movie you sit down you know you're in perfectly good hands with who's behind it and you can just relax in going i'm gonna watch just a top quality film in every single way Brilliant performances, one of my favourites of that year. Tom Hanks is just one of the best actors out there for sure. 
And I think I remember getting this Blu-ray cheap somewhere. Like when I got her, I was like, how the fuck is this so cheap? This deserves much better. But if you can get this movie, it might actually be on Netflix as well. If my memory serves me right. Definitely watch this one. It's a good two hours, 20 minutes or so. Really engaging, really just strong, good movie with great characters, great cinematic tension as well. Steven Spielberg's brilliant at that. If you've ever seen Munich, he knows how to have really simple things just have a really huge build-up with a lot of tension. And this movie, the way it opens with Mark Rylance being caught is just fucking amazing how they do it. But yeah, at number 34 is Bridge of Spies from 2015, directed by the one and only Steven Spielberg. And number 33 is one of the most surprising movies on this whole list. It was I, I love the fucking campaign that these movies have in terms of getting release uh, or to, to get advertising for. This one, I'm pretty sure, wasn't Super Bowl, was it? Oh no, I think it was actually just at some festival. It was just like, oh by the way, here's a new one of these movies, it's coming out in a week. And everyone's like, what the fuck, no one expected it. Uh, or like a secret trailer or something came out I just know it did something really smart and then the third movie in this collection was announced at the Super Bowl and it said by the time the Super Bowl is over this will be on Netflix available to watch which is just fantastic advertising the Super Bowl is the biggest fucking advertising spot you can ever have unfortunately the third one's shit and of course I am talking about the Cloverfield series the second movie in it directed by Dan Trachtenberg from 2016 10 Cloverfield Lane this movie you'd barely even call it a Cloverfield movie I, I love that they actually have these different stories that all take place around this incident obviously the first Cloverfield movie was a fantastic found footage movie set in New York with a whole host of fucking crazy things going on but or involving aliens uh, but this movie is a lot more reserved and a lot more tense and partially I think what I can't say it hurts the movie but I think what would make this movie stronger is if you didn't know it had anything to do with Cloverfield because the basic idea is that Mary Elizabeth Winstead who is having some relationship problems with her boyfriend who you don't see in the movie but is actually voiced by Bradley Cooper she's just driving home after having a bit of a spat with him and she's run off the road and wakes up chained to a bed in this underground bunker built by none other than the heroic John Goodman and he explains to her that there's been an alien invasion and things are going terrible outside and he saved her to for her own good let's say and there's another guy there played by john gallagher jr or gallagher whatever way you want to pronounce that and it's about the tensions between the three of them they're obviously they're going to have to stay there while there's this infection and invasion going on outside and you wonder whether John Goodman is telling the truth or not. And what his intentions might actually be. What's more that is, it's more a, a chemical attack that they're, they're worried about. More so than aliens. But he, John Goodman believes that aliens are responsible. And you're... I mean, if you know Cloverfield, you know he could be telling the truth. But it's more his motivations for having her there and having him there. And there's a lot of stuff going on with it. Really compelling intense mystery going on throughout this movie because i mean even though what i've explained there might make it seem like oh well you, you have an idea whether or not he's good or bad you don't you really don't know every time you think that he might be bad you see something that could actually be in his favor and every time you think there's something in his favor there's something that might be a bit seedy and you're always wondering is this guy telling the truth is this actually happening it's fucking brilliant i the the cloverfield connection does hurt it somewhat because you know there is the cloverfield incident 
and it's it's unfortunate that you're you're a bit weighed down by that but i don't think it actually affects the movie at all because the tension in this movie and how good john goodman is and mary elizabeth winstead is fantastic too and this was a fucking really dark movie i think it was it might have been 12s in england or 12s over here but like pg-13 in america but this is a this really fucking pushed the bar for what that rating should be uh just in terms of how grim it is how tense it is some of the fucking scenes in it are rough like i don't know how they got away with that rating to be honest but amazing performances really claustrophobic and tense and smart and just really creative good characters mary elizabeth wednesday is a fucking smart character and it's so satisfying to see because i fucking hate stupid characters in stupid situations <laughs> so like she's a character that uses her brain and i think that's fucking important john goodman is also a smart fucker in it and it just makes for this head-to-head work so brilliantly i don't want to say more about it i don't feel like i've given too much away because i mean all this you can pick up from the trailer but this is just one that i highly recommend i highly recommend all them why do i keep saying it i recommend all these movies obviously there's no point me saying that this is fantastic it's my favorite of the three cloverfield movies even though i love the first one the third one is shit it's really fucking shit i won't even get into that but it's shit this is fucking great dan trachtenberg's 26 trachtenberg sorry 2016 movie 10 cloverfield lane coming in at number 33 and number 32 is one that i think people would have expected to be close to my number one spot and this is quentin tarantino's the hateful eight from 2015 although 2016 is when it got released here i have seen this movie in its full three hour runtime about six or seven times now uh or could be five or six definitely six anyway around that number i absolutely fucking adored this movie first of all i love westerns i love all these actors i love quentin tarantino and i love long movies and this movie i've seen every available version of this movie so in suppose different formats i got to see the regular version of it in the cinema which is about two hours 50 minutes about and then i got to see the 70 mil roadshow version which is three hours and ten minutes about or three or six minutes around that time and then there was the netflix version which was set up to be a four-part miniseries which i think adds up to about three and a half hours about that length uh, if you include the extra scenes and they annoyingly have the opening and closing credits every time you watch it which is a bit fucking irritating but i've seen every version of this movie and i love every version of it it's just one of the most it's it, 99% of this movie is just dialogue driven mystery and you're always wondering who's telling the truth who's lying who has ulterior motives who could be bad you never know the idea is there's this bounty hunter played by samuel L. jackson who has just killed two lads and he's looking to get to, into town to claim the money for their bodies until his horse dies which leads to him needing to hitch his way there and he happens to get into a uh, what you call that a wagon i think it's called a wagon uh with an infamous bounty hunter known as the hangman played by kurt russell and he has a prisoner with him who's known as one of the fucking most vile pieces of shit part of a, a gang played by jennifer jason lee and it's the three of them on their way in the harsh fucking blizzards to get to this small town and along the way they pick up walton goggins and you get involved with all the other characters all the actors in this movie are damien Bashir, tim roth michael madsen and bruce dern 
and James Parks and he's a small appearance from Zoe Bell and a few others and well actually his name's in the credits so I can say it but Channing Tatum uh, Quentin Tarantino also has a strange cameo which rolled a lot of eyes for people but I thought was cool the whole movie or the first maybe hour of this movie plays out like a an adventure road movie and then you have what amounts to a two hour game of wits all taking place in this big haberdashery that's the word so <laughs> all of it takes place in this play in this one room it's almost like a fucking a play but what's interesting is he shot the movie on 70 millimeter so it's huge cinema or cinemascope is that what it's called panavision i think it was panavision 70 that's what it was and it is ultra widescreen and getting to see that in the cinema was just jaw-dropping because pretty much the first maybe 45 minutes to an hour of this movie gets to show off all of the amazing snowy landscapes and nature side of things whereas the rest of it it's a claustrophobic thriller inside this cabin but you get to see pretty much every character on screen but near almost every shot because of the wide lens it's just fucking brilliantly done amazing dialogue typically it, it turns into tarantino ultra violence but it's just so smart well written and one of my favorite endings of all the tarantino's movies could be up there as in the top three maybe of my favorite endings of his absolutely love this fucking movie so at number 32 i think i said yeah number 32 the hateful eight and number 31 is one of the fucking most amazing experiences i've ever had watching a film which i think i've actually might have mentioned when i talked about korean cinema there a few episodes ago uh this is from 2016 directed by now again you know me in korean names either na hong in or hong in na called the wailing uh this is a movie that i wanted to see for years because it's the same director as the yellow sea and more importantly the chaser which is just top three fucking korean thriller movies it's fucking amazing so this was always on my list two and a half hour korean mystery horror movie you can't fucking have me more on board than that but it's a strange one because you're constantly well actually no I, i'm briefly going out talking there it, it's a strange one because it didn't get a proper release here it has a shitty dvd had no blu-ray don't think it got a cinema release as far as i remember unless it just had one day but it more or less went straight to netflix and that's how i got to watch it and fucking hell i watched this with a group of friends and we loved it there's a this is at a time where they smoked cigarettes so there was two cigarette breaks throughout and we actually did it at such a perfect time that we got to break the movie up into three parts and got to discuss each part as my dead side and thought oh what do you think's gonna happen we were really so invested in this movie and especially the last 20 minutes or so we were fucking hopping around the room trying to figure out what was gonna go on it was just one of the best visual or movie experiences I've ever had. It's fucking amazing. But the general idea of the movie is a Japanese stranger arrives in this small village in Korea. Not long after a weird sickness is spreading around. Making people violently near near death in terms of illness. Basically it's like a coronavirus movie if you want to look at it like that. But this follows a detective who's trying to find this guy and solve the mystery as to whether or not this guy is spreading a disease who he is and how it could affect his family now there's a lot of korean names here <laughs> which i'm probably gonna butcher but you have uh quack do one or do one quack oh god these are so i'm so bad at pronouncing these fucking names uh, huang young min 
Chung Woo Lee, <laughs> or Chung Woo Hee, and Yun Kunimura, which is probably the easiest one to pronounce, uh, and Kim Hwan Lee, Hao Yen. Oh, if you know your Korean movies, you know all, all these people I'm talking about. They've appeared in uh, like A Bittersweet Life and all these other fucking Korean movies. I'm... I should really learn how to pronounce these fucking names properly because Jesus Christ, that was actually a, a fucking attack on the country nearly. It was so fucking bad. But what I will say is this movie has a lot of familiar Korean faces in it. If you've seen a lot of Korean cinema, you'll recognise a lot of these people. It's surprisingly funny at times. It, like I said, the Korean cinema in general has a really good balance of comedy and, in this case, terror. It knows how to balance those things really fucking well. You literally have no fucking clue where this movie's going to go. There's a particular scene. I'm not even going to explain what happens. But within one minute, you go from, I know what's happening. Now I definitely know what's happening. Oh, wait, maybe this is happening. No, it's not that. It's this. Oh, wait, it's this. And then you're wrong on all those accounts. You have no idea where this is going to go. And it's just outstanding. I think it's a Netflix original. It's, I think it's owned by Netflix and it, over here. So definitely give it a look. The Wailing at number 31 from 2016. And number 30 is a movie that I just think is one of the most enjoyable. Again, another movie that's just pure comfort viewing. And almost feels like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang if it was made or set in the 70s. And of course it's the same writer and director, the legendary Shane Black. Who has more or less smeared his name after that fucking Predator movie he made. Which is unfortunate because I love the guy, but fucking hell, he, I don't know how he's proud of that movie at all. Uh, this is 2016's The Nice Guy, starring Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. And the basic idea of it is, is a private eye who is investigating the apparent suicide of a fading porn star in the 70s in LA. And he discovers a big conspiracy that could be attached to this. And enlists the help of just a he suppose he's a private detective as well but he's more of a fixer he's a big tough guy who Russell Crowe plays and the two of them are trying to solve the mystery that's gone on with this porn filled murderous private detective underbelly <laughs> if you want to put it that way I don't want to give too much away like I said I keep fucking I, I end up getting into over descriptive uh, example or like, overly describing these uh, these movies which I'm trying not to do but this one is just pretty much a laugh a minute. It's fucking hysterical. The action scenes are actually great in it. Loads of fucking familiar faces. Uh, Margaret Qualley, who's become a lot bigger now. Kim Basinger, or Basinger, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, Keith David, absolute hero. Matt Boomer. Ar- Ar- oh, Angury Rice, I think that's how you pronounce her name. And just a fucking whole lot of people. Hannibal Burris. I don't remember him being in that. But this is just fucking hysterically funny all the way through. Unpredictable loads of fun and typical of Shane Black it's quite dark and violent as well like if you look at the Lethal Weapon movies or uh, Last Boy Scout Long Kiss Goodnight all these movies they're all fun romps but they all have a dark underbelly like the violence in it can actually be quite dark particularly in uh, both both Last Boy Scout and I might have said Last Action here a minute ago he didn't write that as well did he? no I don't think he did uh, or maybe he did but anyway the Last Boy Scout there's like moments in it that are really violent and same with Long Kiss Goodnight where like there's some ugly nasty violence but it's also quite funny and awkward and it's just this movie is the same kind of thing it's it's more in line with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang where it's a straight up mystery crime comedy with some dark elements 
Ryan Gosling proved here that he has seriously good comedic timing. He's just hilarious in it. Russell Crowe's brilliant in it. It's just fucking fantastic. And I thoroughly recommend this one. Obviously. So The Nice Guys at number 30 from 2016. Directed by Shane Black. And number 29 is the second movie from David McKenzie that I've mentioned in this list. And it is 2016's Hell or High Water. About two brothers who decide to start robbing banks and all sorts of places in order to save the family farm in the middle of texas and they are pursued by a sheriff and his well his team i suppose uh, the sheriff is played by jeff bridges and the two brothers are chris pine and ben foster and it's just one of those really high quality gritty as fuck crime thrillers uh dave mckenzie proved again after startup that he is a fucking phenomenal director this film in particular is absolutely amazing and it's written i keep forgetting this fucking guy's name uh taylor sheridan who i once saw on sons of anarchy he looked like alan from two and a half men if he was an absolute fucking brick shithouse and turns out he writes some of the fucking best thrillers out there this one included he also wrote what's it called wind river that's what it's called i knew that was gonna wreck my head and of course he also wrote Sicario, which I forgot to mention a moment ago as well. He's, he's just a fucking fantastic writer. But yeah, this movie is quite unpredictable. It's got really just, re- it's totally realistic. It's one of those movies where nothing over the top or silly happens in it. Anything that could potentially be that way is, it just doesn't work that way. It's already realistic and gritty and it's ugly, but it's also like it's, there's a sort of a, a goodness to it. In terms of the characters. like the, the way the characters are. They're not unlikable. You kind of understand both sides. And what they're like. And. It's just really fucking well made. Great score too. Intense. Really lovely looking. Just one of the fucking finest thrillers out there. And I haven't watched it since I've seen it in the cinema. And I loved it. So I really want to give that another watch. But Taylor Sheridan is a, is a writer worth looking out for. He's fucking fantastic. And David Genzi. Excellent director. So. Heller High Water at number 29 from 2016. And number 28 is the second of two Damien Chazelle films that are on this list. Like I said, I thought Whiplash would probably be in the top 10, but it ended up barely being pushed out. Uh, and this is his 20... Did I say that right? This is his? Yeah. His 2016 release musical film, La La Land, starring Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. And this one, I think it, it put a shitload of people off. I know a lot of people who weren't interested in seeing this because like, oh, I don't like musicals. I was like... But this is the thing, you probably do. South Park the movie is a fucking musical, and it's great. Like, when people think of musicals, I think they just have the likes of High School Musical in their head, or annoying Disney musicals, but no, these are these are proper musicals. This one's fucking fantastic. It follows Emma Stone, she's an actress who's working in a cafe on the movie lot, and she's trying to get somewhere, and she ends up meeting... Ryan Gosling, who is a jazz pianist. I think he wants to be, like, he really, like, has... His heart is totally set on the world of jazz. But he feels like there's not enough attention being given to jazz in this world. And he meets her and wants to introduce her to the world of jazz and the history of jazz. And the whole movie is just full of incredible fucking choreographed dance sequences and amazing singing. All the songs I think are actually done live as far as I remember. I think. I could mix it up with Les Mis, I'm not sure, but I know that they, they all the choreography in this is fucking fantastic. The opening scene in particular is a, a big long take on a big highway of a fantastic choreographed dance scene. I don't know how they pulled some of this stuff off, but it's all done with a crane and just 
expert fucking camera work. The whole movie is just is an odd one actually now that I think about it because I know some people who were then disappointed with the movie as musical fans because the first half an hour or so is a straight up musical without without a doubt and then you've got about an hour of the movie where you forget it's a musical there's a lot of parts where there's no songs it's just more about the drama and these two characters and their relationship before the musical aspects kick back into it but it all works for me um i just thought it was totally unique really well made really entertaining really fun just it's it's, it's rare you get an exciting old school musical like this because this feels like it could have been something that came out in like the 50s when it was all the rage so the fact that he managed to pull this off now is fantastic and this chap just knows music and he has a series now which i must try and remember the name because i think it's coming to netflix next month yeah it's a movie coming to next month or it's a series i think it's either a movie or a series i can't remember now but it is coming to netflix um and it's called the eddie the eddie t-h-e-e-d-d-y and it's all about a jazz musician or it's all about just jazz in la in general i can't remember which i only i'm trying to go in with as little information as i can because i just trust this guy's movies and whatever else he does immediately so i'm giving as much information to you as i'm willing to give to myself (laughs) so if you want to know more about it just look up the eddie that's all you need to know but yeah this chap is just well worth watching everything he does is fucking brilliant first man is another one he did that that's a, a a serious grower because as i watched it i was quite tired and i was like i'm not sure what i think about it but the more i think about that movie the more i like it much like ad astra or something like that and i only got the blu-ray there recently if you if you follow my instagram page you'll see i got a shitload of stuff which i'll talk about more in depth when i do my regular episode but yeah la la land at number 28 from 2016 fantastic at 27 is another denis villeneuve movie i should mention that along with the likes of the safety brothers and s craig zadar denis villeneuve is also among the greatest directors working today because he's just everything he's done has blown me away and as mentioned i had sicario there and now you have arrival this movie and i nearly had enemy on this list i think i might have that on my underrated list but enemy is a fucking fantastic one he did with jay jinlaw this is one that he's directed with amy adams jeremy renner michael stuhlberg and forrest whitaker they're some of the bigger names that you recognize a lot of the people but it is a strange one and it's about this expert linguist who is recruited by the military to try communicate and understand what these aliens are trying to say because there's huge massive spaceships that have landed all over the the universe or no (laughs) not all over the universe all over the planet universe is a bit fucking expansive there um they've landed all over the planet and they have basically invited her to go in and try communicate with them and decipher whether or not they are a threat or they are there in peace and it's just so unique and it's just some serious head fuckery going on in this because the the aliens themselves play with the concept of time and memory and the way the movie's edited is just fucking fantastic denis villeneuve is outstanding that cast are amazing the performances are fantastic amy adams is just always brilliant and you have the score again by Johan Johansson, who just the score for this movie is really unique, really strange, just fucking fantastic. And I can't remember who did the cinematography. If I try to remember, Bradford Young actually did. It. I thought I wasn't sure whether or not it was Deacons again. It wasn't. But yeah, Johan Johansson's score is just phenomenal. I thought this movie was mind blowing. One of the best sci-fi films I've seen in a whole decade. I'm dying to actually watch it again 
just a complete head fuck but in a good way not in a sort of we're trying to be as crazy and wacky as possible kind of like predestination because that's madville but this is just more like by the time it's over you'll understand what's going on but it's throughout you're quite confused really fucking interesting and unique god i needed to source i keep saying all the same fucking words but look this is a fantastic film <laughs> and uh as a usual repetition here, I highly recommend it. Phenomenal. So that's number 20. I think I said 27, didn't I? 27 is Arrival. Number 26 is the second of the Argos Lintamos movies that I mentioned before. Well, I didn't mention this one yet, but it is 2017's The Killing of a Sacred Deer. This movie is... Alright, let me just put it this way. This movie is fucked up, but in the opening shot. Not the opening few seconds, not the opening scene... The opening shot, two people got up and walked out. That that goes to show just how in your face this movie can be at times. Again, same deadpan, strange, almost robotic kind of dialogue that the characters have. Colin Farrell is fucking fantastic in this movie. Nicole Kidman is great too. Sonny Suljic, I think that's how you pronounce his name, who plays Colin Farrell's son. He's fucking tremendous too. And like I said, he was brilliant in mid-90s and everything I've seen him in, he's just totally watchable but the show stealer here is another irishman named barry keown who made an appearance in another film that's going to be on this list it's just one of the most bizarre performances that i've seen from a character he's just it's hard to get into his head uh but colin farrell plays a doctor who's a surgeon who lives oh, now that i think about it i don't want to give too much away he um he has a strange relationship with this young teenage boy, played by Barry Keown, and there's a huge amount of darkness presiding over these uh, these characters and what could lead to tragedy involving his family. I don't want to say much more. I feel like I could have even said too much because it's a tough one to talk about without giving things away. But this uh, this young boy that he meets is is really trying to get his way into his into this doctor's life that's all i want to say it, i didn't really describe that well but what i will say is if you've liked the other yaga sentiment stuff you'll fucking love this this one though there is some funny moments don't get me wrong but unlike the lobster and dog tooth and the favorite this is a straight up near horror movie the look of the movie it has very similar camera movements and stuff to The Shining. It's, it t- clearly takes a lot of influence on Stanley Kubrick, but it's just really brooding, tense. Everything feels like it's going to go wrong in this movie. It's really, really smart and unique. Like I said, any of his movies you'll never have seen before. This one is fucking crazy, and I absolutely love it. And it's at number 20... 26. Yeah, fucking hell. I couldn't remember the numbers there. So yeah, 26. Uh, the Killing of a Sacred Deer from Yargos Lentimos. To be honest, the speed I'm going at here, I've actually <laughs> reached a fucking, just halfway and I'm ni- like nearly 90 minutes in, so fucking hell. It's, uh, it's hard to talk about 50 movies that are taking up fucking three hours, but I am, I'm going to try fly to the rest of these. So I have uh, I've failed my original plan of finishing this in an hour 45, but fuck it. I'll get this done as quick as I can. So number 25 is good time directed by the safety brothers who i've mentioned a million times before from 2017 i've already spoken about this movie at length um 
more so I spoke about or spoke spoke about Uncut Gems. But this one is a fantastic fucking thriller. This read this the first film I saw from those lads. Another reason why Robert Pattinson is one of the best fucking actors working today. You also have Benny Safdie playing alongside him in this, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Buddy Duras, uh, which I think is how you pronounce his name. He's a bizarre New Yorker lad who apparently was involved in all kinds of drugs and crime and all who's decided I'm actually gonna be an actor and they every kind of part of his character in this and their last movie, Heaven Knows What really just shows that he's as authentic as he can fucking get. The movie basically takes place after a Bosch bank robbery which got Benny Safty put in prison or the character he plays put in prison and you're following his older brother played by Robert Pattinson as he tries to bust him out and gets involved in the seedy underbelly of New York. That's about as much as I want to give away about this movie. Much like Uncut Gems, this is a fucking heart-racing pants-shittingly intense fucking movie that just doesn't let up from start to finish you never know where it's gonna go the characters are pieces of fucking garbage and you're stuck with them for the guts of two hours and it's just fucking fantastic edge of the sea amazing score nothing else out there like it other than maybe uncle james because that's a movie that'll just have your stomach clenching for weeks so at number 25 good time by the safety brothers Number 24 is another one that I've actually briefly mentioned uh, on this podcast and it is Darren Aronofsky's 2017 movie Mother. I said it that way because it has an exclamation point and a lowercase m which is which makes sense when you watch the movie. Uh, Really fucking bizarre movie about this couple who are living in a sort of I wouldn't even call it a farmhouse but it's a house in the middle of like a great plain kind of area. Or was this, but I don't know what you'd really call it, but it's Jennifer Jason Lee and Javier Bardem who are on a sort of rocky patch in their relationship, but things get more rocky and intense when people start showing up to their house, such as Michelle Pfeiffer, two real brothers, Brian and Donald Gleason, and Ed Harris. And this leads to It's a tough one to talk about again, because I don't want to give too much away about it, but there's which Darren Aronofsky already gave enough away about it with all the fucking interviews he did for it, but the whole movie is a lot of it. It's like a horror movie, a psychological breakdown. It's one of the most anxiety-inducing movies I've ever seen. It's so stressful at points. It's bordering on fantasy. There's a lot going on in it, but it's, it's about how this couple's tranquil experience has been heavily disrupted by the people who have entered into their lives. That's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> Although I think it doesn't even prepare you for just what a fucking head fuck this movie is. But let me just let me just say it is it's a it is a fantasy movie, it is a horror movie, it is a drama movie, it is oh, I can't really call it a thriller, but there's a lot going on in it. And it it is a proper assault to watch. But I absolutely loved it. It's one again that took a few days to, to click at me. I loved it when I saw it, but I was like, I'm not really sure what I think, and then the more I think about it, the more I liked it. But a lot of famous people you recognise. A lot of religious allegory and stuff going on in it. Which becomes very clear as you watch. But fucking hell. You, you really don't know where this movie's going to go. In terms of. I suppose narratively. You know you know the religious ideas. that they're, the, the angles that they're going for. But where it's going to go. Otherwise is totally surprising. And fantastic. And the poster art for this movie is fucking amazing. And I think when I mentioned cinema scores. And all that other bullshit the last time. This was like the first F rating in years or something like that. And 
yeah, a lot of bollocks. Don't listen to any of that bullshit. This movie's fucking fantastic. Highly recommended. Amazingly well shot. Really tense, constant close-ups of Jennifer Lawrence. Like it's it's really in tight to her. Just, it gives you a good idea of that claustrophobic feeling that you you get watching this movie. Like it's just fucking amazing. Highly recommended. Not for everyone, but do give it a look if you want something really bizarre and intense. So that's at number twenty four, Mother from twenty seventeen. And number 23 is one of the best films I saw this year from 2017. Although I think it might have come out in January 2018 if I remember correctly. And did she win? I don't think she won an Oscar for this. I can't remember. I think she deserved it. Maybe it went to someone else. Like I said, my Oscar fucking... I need to brush up on my Oscar memories. Uh, this is Craig Gillespie or Gillespie. I don't know how you pronounce his name. I'll say Craig Gillespie. His 2017-2018 movie I, Tonya. This movie is, I hate these crossover things where it's like, if you have a movie that involves British gangsters and involves a fucking, I don't know, a, a serial killer, they'll go, oh, this is Lockstock meets Halloween, even though it has nothing to do with either of those fucking things. But this movie is accurately described as the, the Goodfellas of figure skating. It is a perfect example of that because the editing style narrative choices are all reminiscent of goodfellas there's narration there's fourth wall breaking there's amazing music cues the hyper editing i'm pretty sure i think this was shot on film as far as i remember it looks and feels like something scorsese would be behind but it's all about tanya harding a competitive ice skater who had to go against the u.s figure skating championships or was sorry participating in the u.s figure skating championships and it involves the dubious nature of her and her husband's connection to something that might have happened to another figure skater that's about as much as i want to give away it's a true story it's actually very accurately true as well although there is some uh stuff that they've obviously beefed up for the sake of drama in the movie but amazing performance career defining nearly performance from margot robbie she's outstanding in this this was the first thing i saw sebastian stan in that wasn't marvel related to and he's fucking fantastic in it too Alison Janney, she won an Oscar. She was mind-blowing in this. She's completely disappeared into the role too. You never even guess it's her. And she's just a fucking scumbag who plays uh, Tonya Harding's mother. Bobby Cannavale has a small performance. But also, Paul Walter Hauser, who was recently in Richard Jewell. He's fucking tremendous in that film. And he's fantastic here. This is the first thing I saw him in. He kind of provides comic relief. Because it's a quite a funny movie, despite being very dark and dramatic. If you know what happened in history, you know what's going to happen in this. Although there's, I only knew bits and pieces. I knew who Tanya Harding is. I knew what happened with her. But I didn't know a lot of the details or of her life or where it went afterwards. So it's just really fucking unique. Really brilliant. It is basically Goodfellas but to do a figure skating. But if you like Goodfellas, you're going to fucking love this. I thought it was fantastic and it was one of my favourites of that year. So at number 24. Is it 24? No, 23, I, Tonya by Craig Gillespie. And number 22 is a comedy movie from one of the finest people working in comedy in, well, ever, uh, Armando Iannucci. Now, I haven't thought much of that fucking space show he did. What's it called? Avenue 5, I think it was called. That didn't do much for me at all. I didn't even finish it, actually. I just gave up on it because I thought it was kind of shit. But in general, his type of comedy is fantastic. He's worked on I'm Alan Partridge and The Tick of It. And this movie is more on the line of the tick of it, but it's a it's a satirical look at 
well, actually, I should say the name of the movie. It's his 2017 movie, The Death of Stalin. And it's a satirical look at the death of tyrannical dictator Joseph Stalin and all of the cronies that are kind of fighting for power to be the leader, the, ne- the next leader of the Soviet Union. So you're following Steve Buscemi, Simon Russell Beale, who is a fucking dirtbag in this movie. He was actually, I was trying to think why I recognise him. I don't, I still don't. But he looks like someone, I can't think who. But he's actually worked on stage before as a, an actor and he's fucking superb at this. You really love to hate this fucker. We also have uh, just all the atrocities that are going on. There's a, a part of the movie, I think it's to play a speech at a radio event of some sort, which Paddy Considine runs. You have performances from Michael Palin, uh, Andrea Riseberg again, Rupert Friend, Jason Isaacs, uh, Paul Whitehouse. There's a whole host of British comedians and actors that you'll recognise in this movie. All of them are brilliant. It's absolutely sizing. There's moments in this I was actually laughing at an unacceptable volume because it was so fucking loud. But the thing about the movie is it shows you the ugly side. It shows you the really horrible fucking parts of what went on in this time. All the sadistic secret police stuff that went on. And people being dragged out of their homes and shot. Fucking rape and molestation that went on by this guy. I think it's that guy Nikita Khrushchev. If it's the guy I'm thinking of. I don't remember all the names now. I'm not, I'm not brushed up on my Russian history. But it, 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 it lets you know that all these things are still happening in the in this world. It's, there's, there's evil things going on. But you're watching a really hilarious account of all these things. And it's just... You can tell a lot of it's improvised too. It's just fucking brilliantly done. And I highly recommend it. And like I said, if you know the thing of it, you know the style of comedy. And the kind of quick wit and fast comebacks. And it's just it's just brilliant. So, at number 22, The Death of Stalin from 2017. At number 21 is a sequel to another film that you'll see on this list. And I've mentioned the director already, Mr. Gareth Evans. This is The Raid 2 Barandal. And fucking hell, like, I've... I've I'm going to explain more about the other film shortly. This film, though, is just how you do a fucking sequel. This is the difference between The Godfather and Godfather 2 and Terminator and Terminator 2, where... It, you go so much grander in scale, but you don't sacrifice what made the original so good. This one is a gangster epic of near Godfather proportions. The first movie is more an action film, which, I, like I said, I'll get to. But this one follows the lead character, played by Eco Ace from the first movie, as he gets himself involved in a gangster underworld to go undercover and basically try find corrupt members of the police force that might be working with the mafia or the, the crime syndicate of indonesia and it's just the ambition that this movie had is fucking amazing and how he pulled it off and actually made something as jaw-dropping as the first film because the fight scenes and action scenes in this movie are expertly choreographed brutally violent they're over the top but never in an unrealistic way like there's crazy car chases and all sorts that you're just glued to and it's unbelievable he pulled this off fantastic performances from everyone eco ace is just fucking he's a powerhouse how he can fucking be so physically in command in this role as well as put in a, a genuine heartfelt performance is beyond me like Garrett evans is a master behind the camera and obviously with writing and it's just to have a movie be as so be so powerful in terms of the action scenes but also have a plot that has you completely engaged is a difficult thing to do Look at um, The Night Comes For Us. 
that movie plot wise is fucking all over the shop but the action's amazing and there's movies that have great plots but the action might not be great but this balances the two and it's just fucking superb what he did of it so The Raid 2 Barandal from 2014 by Garrett Evans oh at number 21 finally we're down to the fucking top 20 I might actually get this done in a reasonable amount of time uh, especially this one because I've talked about this one extensively already it's about the breakdown of a marriage and it stars Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson and it's number 20 Noah Baumbach's Marriage Story um, from 2019 this movie is as fucking powerful as he can get in terms of characters you give a shit about that you can both agree and disagree with equally you see both sides and it just shows how heart-wrenching it can be to see a marriage fall apart and it's just amazing how they do it and i mean award-winning performances from laura dern i think alan alda's fantastic and it really ought to should have got a look in too even though i love joker love joaquin phoenix that was adam driver's oscar it was stolen from him he is mind-blowing in this film it's the best performance of ever seen from him and probably one of the best performances of the decade amazing movie Noah Baumbach's a fantastic writer I might not like all his stuff but I think he's very talented at what he does and this movie is just superb so Marriage Story at number 20 I just said it a minute ago didn't I yeah number 20 and number 19 is a movie I've also discussed extensively already so I'm not going to fucking spend ages doing it here and that is Martin Scorsese's 29th 2019 film the irishman incredible fucking of a scale like never seen before with scorsese a three and a half hour slow burning gripping detailed gangster epic starring robert de niro al pacino and joe pesci with performances obviously from bobby cannaval harvey keitel anna paquin ray romano and of course stephen graham this movie just follows the life of Frank Sheeran, a war veteran who is an Irish guy who became a truck driver and got involved with the Mafia and built up to the point where he was working with Jimmy Hoffa, the union leader, who mysteriously disappeared. So it's it's all about their friendship and their life and it's just put together incredibly and with jaw-dropping visual effects to make them look young. I've mentioned before that there are issues with it, but in general, like there's moments in this movie you're completely forgotten you'd swear it was recorded 20 years ago amazing fucking performances great music typical scorsese fashion although this has no glamour the way goodfellas at casino show the glamour and the excess of this life this shows the aftermath of it all and how wasn't really worth it let's say and it's just fucking brilliant it is the, it's the true goodbye to the gangster movie at this stage it it almost feels redundant to make one after this i thought it was fantastic and it was released through netflix and it didn't get as much of a look in at the Oscars as I thought it would. It had plenty of nominations, but it, it deserved more. It was fucking superb. So at number 19 from 2019, Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. At number 18 is another one that I mentioned briefly on one of the last podcasts. One of my favourites of the decade. It's S. Craig Zahler's 2018 film, Dragged Across Concrete. So you have the fucking it's the meanest tough guys you can see out there. Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn as... They are suspended for roughing up a prisoner or someone in cut co- or a fucking perp, let's say, and they're caught on camera and it ends up getting them suspended. So they decide, fuck it, we were beating the shit out of a drug dealer. He deserved what he was getting. So let's go rob drug dealers and get what's ours. All the while, a guy named Tory Kittles, who's fresh out of prison, decides to meet up with one of his friends, who is a, a gangster played by Michael Jai White. 
as they get involved in some shady business to get some money. That's about as much information as I want to give on it, purely because I just want people to experience this movie and not really know what's going on in it, but there's there's a lot going on, and there's some mean, ugly fucking characters. Basically, every character in this movie is a piece of shit, and the fact you can actually care about these characters is just a testament to how well written it is, because, I mean, they're nasty cops, there's fucking two got criminals who are fucking getting involved in horrendous bank robbery situations and you have these group of lads who make all the four people i mentioned there seem like fucking saints they're just the most brutal evil ruthless characters out there so everyone is on the scale of bad it's just some are better than others and that's what i think is so smart about this movie but yeah if you've seen any other s craig's other movies you know what you're in for here it's gritty as fuck really grim and just fantastic performances so oh, hang on, i didn't even mention who the fuck was in it today i did so yeah mel gibson vince vaughn troy gills michael jai white uh, jennifer carpenter makes an appearance and udo Kier. just loads of people you recognize which i keep saying oh i'm gonna have to make a compilation of me repeating myself over and over again because it's fucking ridiculous at this stage but yeah at number what did i say number 18 dragged across concrete at number 17 is another S. Craig Zahler film. Um, a fucking amazing, serious lead performance from Vince Vaughn. It's a 2017 movie called Brawl in Cell Block 99. And it follows Vince Vaughn as an ex-boxer slash criminal who has been going straight for a while now, but he ends up being fired from his job and discovers that his wife, played by Jennifer Carpenter, was cheating on him. And he decides, right, I want to fucking take control of my life again. I want to provide for my wife. I understand why she did what she did. I don't like it. But we're going to try again. And I'm going to make some money. So he gets involved with a drug dealer. Which gets his life back on track until he lands in prison. And while in prison, after the loss of some drugs that he was originally put away for. He's given an ultimatum by some drug dealers. Which is basically, you are going to fight or kill or do whatever you can to get yourself put into the worst solitary confinement down in cell block 99 and you're going to kill someone for us because if you don't harm will come to your family that's about as much as i want to give away about this it it, i've probably made it sound a lot nicer than it is when you figure out what the the plan is it's horrendous shit so he has to do a whole host of extremely violent acts in order to get himself locked up and sent to the the to the correct prison in order to act out this uh this job he's been given for lack of a better word and it's just one of the meanest most visceral gritty fucking it's it borders on action there's a lot of 70s influence in this it's like a 70s grindhouse movie or something obviously in modern day but there's some horrendous acts of violence in this movie really vicious shit but it's so fucking entertaining and fun all the way through and Vince like I said Vince Vaughn gives an amazing performance you have an original score done by the OJs I think the OJs did songs for uh, for Dragged Across Concrete as well but yeah this movie is just further solidified that S. Craig Zahler is one of the best working today it's unpredictable it's nasty it's mean it could be quite funny it's great characters brilliantly written and it's just so smart. And I can't recommend it more. So at number 17. 
Brawl, or no, sorry, yeah, Brawl in Cell Block 99. And number 16 was one of the best films I'd seen in 2017 as well. This was part of my uh, four best movies of the decade. Or no, sorry, totally wrong. My four best films of the year, uh, which I had kind of up there with Old Man and the Gun, Climax, and another film I'm going to mention soon. Although no, was that 2018? Yes, 2018. It actually came out here in 2018. So... This movie is called... Did I mention it? Fuck's sake. It's Lynn Ramsey's 2018 movie, You Were Never Really Here, starring Joaquin Phoenix. This movie is a serious powerhouse. It's very artistically done, really unconventional, really smart, but it still is brutal and vicious where it needs to be. It follows a traumatised war veteran who is just... Violence is no object to him. He will do anything if it needs to be done and he tracks down missing girls who've been taken by rich pedos and fucking grooming gangs and fucking drug trafficker or sex traffickers and all kinds of shit and he basically is given the job to find them and he hunts them down or hunts down the uh, the people responsible while he tracks down them and he's just completely uh, unafraid of violence and he lives with his mother who uh, is very friendly and loving and the two of them have a great kind of relationship but he gets involved in a situation or a conspiracy to track down this girl which could lead to danger coming to him and his loved ones really fucking just visceral performance from Joaquin Phoenix like I think he should have gotten an award for this one as well He he's so different to the way he is in Joker because he packed on a lot of weight and muscle for this movie mostly weight like he looks kind of stocky rather than like a fucking brick shithouse like you see like Christian Bale or something becoming in a movie Um, but the way they handle the kind of traumatised I suppose not war flashbacks but what's the, I can't even think of the word post-traumatic stress disorder shell shock whatever the fucking word is the way they handle that with his character is fucking fantastic the violence in the movie is mostly obscured like it's it's strange how they do it like it's clearly a violent vicious movie but there's no catharsis to it it doesn't have those moments where you're expecting a big build-up and you think this guy's gonna fucking get what's coming and or even just any character it doesn't work that way it shows it in an ugly realistic nasty way but not in a fun way and a lot of it you don't see. There's actually one of my favourite scenes in the whole movie is him breaking into a sort of child brothel where he is tracking down a girl and the whole thing is done through the security cameras and it's just fucking amazing how they do it. Really subtle and smart and it also has amazing use of music and there's some really subtle things going on in it. One thing that just makes it all the more visceral and intense is... Uh, him throwing up before he goes in. I didn't even notice it the first time I watched it. But this movie is just intense. God, fucking hell. I keep talking about how I repeat stuff. But it's actually, I'm now repeating that I repeat things. But I keep, like, intense is pretty much the best word to describe it. You're just so invested in this character. You want to see him succeed. You want to see him save people. But it's just, there's always a brooding undertone of something wrong going to happen as you watch this movie. And it's just amazing how they do it. And as I said, unpredictable. And there's some really like visually beautiful fucking moments in it, like stuff that you don't expect at all. One involving uh, an underwater scene, which is just I remember being jaw dropped in the cinema watching it. It's just it's very strange. And actually, a moment in which he's he's with someone in their last moments. Very strange, bizarre, 
and it just really gives you an idea what this character is like he's kind of he's kind of desperate for love even though he's uh hardened and vicious and there's just a lot to him you'll get to it when you watch it but trust me this one is definitely one to see i think it is on amazon prime still might have been on netflix at one stage but it is 2018 slash 2017's you were never really here at number 16 we're basically in the movies here that were in my top 10 but i was pushing them out as i was adding stuff because i mean all these movies could have been in it uh this is number 15 and it's another or is it the first i've mentioned of his movies so far no it isn't i already mentioned inception but this is christopher nolan's 2017 movie dunkirk fucking jaw-dropping war movie shot on 70 mil i was lucky to see it in both 70 mil and imax this one is the movie 1917 tried to be and very nearly did but this movie is so much more engaging it's a similar idea of you're with two characters that you're you get a bit more into the characters in 1917 but you're kind of just thrown into this situation immediately with them this is the same you're seeing it from three different perspectives uh which uh, at first it took me a while to realize once it clicked i was like oh cool but the movie starts off with one hour one day or yeah one hour one day one week and you're looking at these three different perspectives and it's showing a whole week a whole day and a whole hour condensed down to an hour and 40 minutes simultaneously and it's so brilliantly fucking done uh huge cast as well Fionn whitehead who's doing really well now he was also in the black mirror bandersnatch tv movie interactive story game kind of thing and Euron bernard i think that's how you pronounce his name he was in the goldfinch unfortunately but he's also doing quite well jack loden harry styles actually appears in this and he's quite good barry keown again kenneth branagh killian murphy mark rylance who i mentioned before tom hardy brief prefer uh, preference that's a mixture of performance and appearance of michael Caine. just a whole host of fucking amazing actors this movie is just end-to-end tension like i mentioned with some other films like even mad max even though that's constant action and chasing there are there's lulls even though it's still progressing the action uh this movie has no lulls this is as soon as it starts it is action and music and tension all the way through people didn't like the music people thought the music was overbearing and there all the time hans Zimmer's amazing score but i love that the music's there the whole time because it, it means that you can't relax i feel like certain uses of music in movies if you have no mu- no music in the background now i'm not saying that music needs to accompany something but when i say if there's no music in the background you sometimes feel at ease depending on what's going on if this had no music in it you'd feel like okay this is a bit of downtime for this character but the fact that there's constant swelling brooding tense music all the way through you just know there's no time to relax so it's just fucking outstanding how they fucking did this movie rife with tension incredible cinematography all the spitfire scenes are amazing because christopher nolan does not like to use cgi and he likes to shoot on film so everything in this is just done practically with old school like stuff you'd see in the war movies in the 40s where like all the people in the background would just be cardboard cutouts and you wouldn't even notice like it just he's able to make it look like crowds of people are there when they're not all the explosions and the camera work that like the cameras are attached to actual planes flying around it's just unbelievable how he did this movie i love this film i think it's one of the best fucking war films i've ever seen it's one of the best films of the decade and it's one of christopher nolan's best films it's just all round incredible so dunkirk from 2017 at number 15 and number 14 is one that was originally in my top 10 and i really was him and hon about keeping it in there but 
there's a few films that just went ahead of it and a surprising one that went ahead of it because I had said up until the other movie I'll mention that this was the best horror film of the decade and I mean it lasted what seven years eight years because it came out in 2011 and it is Ben Wheatley's kill list this movie is another level of just uncomfortable brutal tension like you, you cannot relax watching this movie uh it's almost in three acts it's like the first act is an almost ken loach style kitchen sink just simmering drama where things are just you feel like it's all about to explode any moment the second half of the movie is gritty hitman thriller and then the third half of the movie is like a pagan horror movie and it, the way it connects all this stuff is so masterfully done and just the music in it is just so creepy intense the motivations for these characters the violence in it is uh, there was three people in the cinema that day it was me my brother and one other guy and after one scene of violence in particular that involves a hammer this guy got up and left <laughs> so it's just me and my brother watching it and uh oh, it just there's nothing like it out there the dialogue is really natural the performances are fantastic and really realistic and how they actually directed some of the scenes are incredible and the sound design is fucking amazing but it's so unflinching so brutal so tense and it's just there's no fucking film like it and i would love to see this in the cinema again with people because i'd love to see the reactions because i mean i was more or less on my own there like just one other person so if I could see this in a packed cinema and just listen to the people watch this movie, it'd be fucking something else. But, oh yeah, I suppose the basic idea of it is, is after a botched job, a hitman takes a new assignment with one of his friends. Um, well, the hitman played by Neil Maskell, who was in Hyena, which I mentioned last time. And Myanna Burning is his wife, or Burring. And she's also, she's an ex-military. And his friend is played by Michael Smiley. And the three of them, or sorry, the two of them, are embarking on this mission to take out a lot of people on a list and it leads to conspiracy and just general darkness that's all i want to say about it it regularly shows on film four because they produced it so you can find it almost anywhere and the blu-rays were fucking picking up as well it's ben wheatley's best film even though he's done plenty of amazing stuff and i was lucky enough to meet him at a, a kind of q a thing he did and i got my copy of this signed so thank you ben uh, but this is just mind blown i highly recommend it up until the next movie i'm going to mention it was the best horror film of the decade and it still edges in there to be honest so at number 14 did i say forgetting numbers again 14 kill list from 2011 and number 13 is a 2017 movie directed by david lowry who i mentioned before with the old man and the gun this is a lot more existential and romantic and sad and fantastic his movie a ghost story from 2017 and the whole movie is shot on uh well it's shot on film but it's like i can't remember the fucking aspect ratio but it's really small it's like 1.1 or some shit i don't i don't really know my aspect ratios despite being so into movies i don't really fucking know most of them should uh should really study up on them more but it is about a couple played by casey affleck and rooney mara and in the opening moments of the movie unfortunately casey affleck dies in an accident and he spends the rest of the movie as a ghost watching over his uh, wife who's played by i already mentioned rooney mara but he is literally it's actually casey affleck in a big white sheet like an almost a, a halloween costume from the 20s version of a ghost 
who he's watching her as she deals with grief and then he watches the cycle of life he watches his own life really just fantastical and nice but it's really sad and just brilliant i was just absolutely captivated and blown away by this movie a lot of people found it a bit too arty farty i didn't i thought it was amazing there's one sequence which people tend to bring up a lot which i thought was fucking jaw-dropping but a lot of people thought was stupid which involves rooney mara eating a pie i know it sounds stupid but it's also about seven minutes long but it's uh it's fairly heart-wrenching when you realize just the context in which it happens and it's just fucking astounding this movie this is another one that very very nearly was in the top 10 this was close though this was number 10 for a while until i found the stuff to go ahead of it but yeah at number 13 a ghost story incredible fucking movie that deserves way more attention and it was on netflix i'm not too sure but i think people thought it was going to be a horror film unfortunately it's not it's far from a horror film it is just a sad dramatic romantic fantasy movie so keep that in mind before you watch it and number 12 is one from james mangold who just recently did a fucking amazing job with ford v ferrari and this is the movie he did beforehand which i was surprised at how fuck well i'm not even fully surprised at how good it was i thought it would be good anyway because it looked amazing but i was weary of it because the last two movies in the wolverine saga where well at least wolverine was shite and i didn't think much of the bit i saw of the wolverine so i was a bit apprehensive going into this but this is his 2017 movie logan this was nearly i think in the top five or even top three of my favorite films of that year it is just amazing especially after i had played through the last of us because the last of us is one of the best games i've ever played and this like i thought hugh jackman would make an amazing joel for that if they made a movie of that and this movie kind of has a last of us feel to it it's uh very similar actually but it's set maybe 30 or so years after all the x-men stuff's gone down and the world hasn't really changed that much but he has and things that have gone on have and that was a bad way to describe that but essentially there was an incident which wiped out a lot of people and it's about him just trying to get his life together but he is living on the mexican border with professor x who's appears to be suffering from dementia of some sort and he's taking care of him and he gets involved in a situation where he must bring a new mutant who has special powers across the border to safety that's about as much as i want to give away about this because there's a lot of revelations throughout and i don't want to ruin them but this movie is just incredible it's fucking littered with amazing action set pieces i mean it was it was an r-rated wolverine movie something everyone has always wanted but it didn't feel like it needed to just go all right throw a lot of fucks in have him kill some people and there we go we have our rating this feels like it was a movie crafted to be what it was that happened to be r rating or happened to be rated r sorry and it's just littered with a mate like hugh jackman is just there's no one in the world who could play could could play or could have played wolverine better than him and he's just one of the best actors out there anyway and his dra- dramatic skills are just fully on display here amazing fight sequences amazing special effects like some of the digital special effects that are done in this are groundbreaking and of course great cast so hugh jackman patrick stewart boyd holbrook has a small part in it Stephen merchant uh, richard e grant eric DeSalle, uh quincy faust amazing cast amazing performances serious action set pieces fantastic special effects 
mostly unpredictable and just absolutely amazing. And I'm amazed that they they got to wrap up the Wolverine story and do it so well and do real justice to the character that I think is a great character anyway that was just squandered in some shitty movies that came afterwards so if you want to see the true Wolverine movie that you've always wanted to see this is the one it is perfect so I'm sorry at number 12 Logan at number 11 this just barely barely made it out of the top 10 and I'm even half thinking about switching it back in here, but no, I'm going to just say it now that I've already started talking about it. It is 2016's Manchester by the Sea by Kenneth Lonergan. This movie is the epitome of just hard, serious, emotional drama. Like, I've spoken about it there last week when I was talking about Marriage Story and how I love movies, and even Blue Valentine I was talking about, how I love these movies that are just really hard, dramatic stories that are like they're they're tough to get through because you you kind of like these characters even if they're doing bad things or whatever else you're you're into these characters and it's sad to watch them in such a bad way and seeing how things just don't come together the way they should but the plot anyway it stars an oscar winning for this movie casey affleck in the best performance he's ever given without a question he is jaw-dropping in this um and he finds out that his older brother played by kyle chandler has passed away and it forces him to then to take care of his 16 year old nephew played by lucas hedges who is also a rising star and phenomenal and everything i've seen him in but also now that he's back in town it's very it's a serious boston movie like i think pretty sure but manchester's a part of boston or am i is boston not the real place no i think it's all what is it it's all new england or something like that. it's all around that area but it's that type of uh areas i think new hampshire's in new england if i'm not wrong i fuck it you know what i mean but yeah it's very like all the characters there's all that kind of dialogue really sweary kind of tough sort of dialogue if you want to put it that way but obviously now he's back in town he gets to see his old wife who is played by michelle williams and they have a scene in this movie it's actually on the poster annoyingly the poster doesn't make any sense though but they have a scene in this movie which is probably one of the most raw and emotional scenes ever put to film. It is fucking amazing. The whole movie is just dialogue driven but it's just... It's also, it's actually very funny. This is a movie that kind of... It has set pieces. They're not even set pieces because set pieces make it sound like it's actually a comedy set piece that it was set up to be funny. But this is just, it has moments that are so real and it has such a realistic, like awkwardly funny like atmosphere to it like it's just something that you can imagine happening in real life and like you don't want to laugh but you are kind of laughing it's just so fucking dramatic and serious and brilliant and there's some deleted scenes too which are raw as fuck too um but now the whole movie is just one of the fucking best things i've seen in a whole decade incredible blistering performances like i said much like whiplash it was very very fucking close to me in this top 10 but yeah, definitely seek this one out. It could be on Netflix. I'm not too sure. It's quite long. It's about two hours, 20-ish minutes. But it flies by. You're so invested in these characters. And it's just amazing. Highly, highly recommended. Well, we're here. We're at the top 10. Finally. I'm sure now I've been fucking cock-teasing everyone with this for the last fucking two weeks. That they've been dying to find out what I'm talking about. Or I say two weeks. Two episodes. So here it is. I'm going to... Like this top 10, I could probably still move around quite a bit. Although I'm pretty confident in my top three-ish maybe but here we are we're here now let's get it done at number 10 
is Denis Villeneuve's 2017 movie Blade Runner 2049. This film blew my fucking balls off. I couldn't believe that they actually managed to do not only just a sequel to Blade Runner, but to make one that is so faithful and amazing and totally captures the world while expanding on it without being shit. That is, and it has Jared Leto in it, late Jared Leto, and it isn't shit. That is also a miracle on its own. Although his character is a bit naff. But the movie is just incredible. It takes place 30, I think, years after the original. And you're following a cop who is known as K. Officer K. And strangely, the Blade Runners have been sort of integrated into society. So the Ryan Gosling you're following is a Blade Runner. But he's out there hunting other Blade Runners. And what I loved about this as well is just the technology. Like the technology hasn't really advanced massively. There are things that are different to the way the original was, but the fact that people still use pen and paper, notepads, clunky old fucking dirty blocky fucking technology, it's just I love all that stuff. I love that type of sci fi. And this movie it was full of that stuff. So it it kept that original feel. But you're following this Officer K who finds a buried secret which could totally alter what the world we live in is all about. Or the world that they live in, I should say. And this sends him on a quest to try hunt down Rick Deckard from the original Blade Runner. And I'm, that's all I'm going to say about it. I don't want to spoil anything about this movie. It is just fucking incredible. Like, <laughs> I've said that a lot, but... Like, Roger Deakins first started the cinematography. And this is the first movie he won an Oscar for his cinematography. And well-deserved because fucking hell, this film is just amazing. Like it's, And it's shot digitally too. Which is rare for me to praise digital films as much as this. Like, I have done with Girl the Dragon Tattoo because that broke new ground in my head. But this film is just unlike anything you've ever seen visually. Other than the original Blade Runner. But like I said, this expands on it. And it just feels more real and lived in. Like, even though that was done with miniatures before... This feels like he's actually in these places. The The music is incredible too. I think Hans Zimmer did it. I think initially he was supposed to have Johan Johansson do it. But unfortunately he died. Or no he didn't. No sorry he did. <laughs> he did die. But what I mean is that I, I don't think he made to have minute. I, I feel like he was supposed to do the score for this. Might have been something else. Maybe it was the score for this. I don't know. But Hans Zimmer does a fucking amazing job. And... Just the acting. So I'll, I'll mention some of the people that are in this movie. This is also the first movie that I saw. What's his face? Um, or what's her face? I should say. Anna de Armas in. So Anna de Armas is in. Robin Wright Penn. Or Robin Wright as she is in this. Ryan Gosling. Harrison Ford. Mackenzie Davis. Jared Leto. Uh, and Dave Bautista. Who I absolutely love anyway. This was a, a small but great performance. And you also get a, a brief appearance from Edward James Almost as well. Which was really nice. But I won't mention just anything else about it i just want people to go see this if you're a fan of blade runner you probably have seen this already if you've not seen blade runner or this see blade runner immediately and then watch this and just give yourself a five hour night of fucking incredible fucking sci-fi drama it's just what this movie achieved is like nothing else and it's a movie that i haven't actually even bought yet because i'm holding off i want to get a really good quality serious special edition of this movie it feels like one that's almost wasted on a regular (laughs) blu-ray but yeah outstanding movie and it's just there's nothing like it other than the original blade runner but i actually in ways 
as much as I love the original, I in ways prefer this one. And that's blasphemy to some people because some people think that the original Blade Runner is untouchable, which in ways it is. But I might slightly prefer this one. Both are incredible films. So at number 10, Blade Runner 2049. At number 9 is the one that managed to knock Kill List off my top ranking best horror movies ever. Fucking. Or best horror movies of the decade list. And that is Ari Aster's Hereditary. Now I've mentioned this before. I mentioned buying the Blu-ray there last week. This film is just a fucking masterpiece. In every sense of the word. And it's about a family just completely crumbling. After the death of the matriarch of the family. And again I want to be quite vague about it as well. Because there's so much subtlety and brilliance going on in this movie. That I don't want to give any of it away. But you have... A career best performance of Tony Collette, who should have won an Oscar. The first thing I've ever seen Alex Wolf in, and he's fucking great. Gabriel Byrne, of course, Millie Shapiro, and Dowd, who she, she can either play the loveliest woman ever in movies or she plays pure evil in this. She's quite lovely. It it just shows the horrendous things, uh, the horrendous side of grief, I suppose, is one of the things about this. And you have just uh, strange almost cult-like oddities going on around it. It's hard to describe, but let's just say that the granny was involved in some weird shit. I don't want to say a lot about this movie. I think it's just one to be experienced. And I have never felt a type of brooding tension like I felt with this movie. There's a full 40 minutes in this movie I didn't fucking take a breath. And no movie has done that before. Kill this got close, but that this movie is just something else. I think it's a masterpiece. It's the best horror film of the decade, without question, and you can get it for fucking three quid in deals if you're lucky, which is an insult to the movie, really, but fuck it out. This is an incredible film. Make sure you see it, but just be prepared. It's it's going to be a, a tough two hours. Is it two hours twenty? I feel like it's quite long. Could just be maybe two hours, but you're in for a, a rough ride. It's amazing. So, at number 9, Hereditary. At number 8, this is one that I actually had when I was going through the list. Because I was sort of compiling this top 10. I was thinking, like, oh, what's going to be here? When I saw this, I was like, yeah, this has to be here. I completely, I even forgot I added it to my fucking list of best movies. This is just, without question, one of the best films I've ever seen. And, like the way Uncut Gems or, or Good Times is, it has your stomach in a fucking knot. But it's not a, it's not a thriller. It's not tense like that. It's just in a discomfort knot or in a fucking like you're so involved in these characters you don't want to see it and go wrong not. And this is Thomas Vinterberg's 2012 movie The Hunt. Now there's another movie coming out next week called The Hunt but it's not the same thing. This one is a Scandinavian movie. I think it's not Norway is it? Or Danish. Danish? I don't know. Um, but it stars the fucking immaculate Mads Mikkelsen who's just brilliant in everything I've ever seen him in I've never seen him fucking put in less than 110% and he's a teacher who is currently battling over the custody of his son and it looks like his life is maybe getting back on track until a potential little lie sends his life spiralling down very badly where he is actually I'm not even going to say I don't even want to say I'm just going to say that a potential little lie has 
ruined his life or is ruining his life. Don't want to say anything else. Just go watch this movie. This movie, I don't, I can't even fucking think off the top of my head a movie that captivated me like this movie in the last decade. I mean, that's just a lot considering there's still movies ahead of this that are about to come. But this is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Hands down. Arrow have released a lovely special edition of it. Go buy it. Add this movie to your collection. If you don't collect movies, fucking start with this one and watch it. Because this movie is something else. That's all I'm going to say. It's a masterpiece. So at number 8, The Hunt from 2012. At number 7 is the last of the Denis Villeneuve movies um, that I'm going to have on this list. Which goes to show he's actually probably the most prominent director on this list. He's on four times now. And this was the first movie of his that I saw. And it immediately knew that this guy is one to watch. This is a movie. It's two and a half hours long. And I remember being about 90 minutes into it. I was in the cinema. And I was just so into it. I was like, I need to check the time. And I realised I had another hour left. And I was like, oh, yes. And I just fucking settled into my seat. Like, yes, there's still more to come. Because I was loving it that much. And it is 2013's Prisoners. This movie is something else. This is the best performance I've ever seen out of Hugh Jackman. And that includes Logan, which is fucking incredible too. And an amazing performance from Jake Gyllenhaal. It follows Hugh Jackman as... He's a bit of a prepper. He's a very conservative, normal, hunting guy. Lovely family life. Typical shite you'd expect. And his daughter and his friend, who's played by Terrence Malick, and his wife Viola Davis, their daughter, they're both their daughters go missing. And it's about him going to extreme lengths to try find out where she is and get her back. It includes the likes of Paul Dano, Maria Bello, Melissa Leo, and loads more. Just fucking incredible. Again, Roger Deakins in cinematography. This is, I think it was his first movie he did with Denis Villeneuve. So that was just like a the best relationship ever. But it's just so dark and the mystery, you literally have no idea where it's going to go at all. You're completely on edge. You're always... By the way, Jake Gyllenhaal's the cop who's there to track down his daughter for him as well. So the two of them are essentially both looking for the same thing. But one of them is going to very illegal, violent route to do it. And I was, it's just one of the most captivating, amazing fucking mystery thrillers ever made. And so it'll really stick with you. And I... It's one I'd actually like to do a, a spotlight episode on. I am going to do spotlight episodes, by the way, where I'll like pick a movie or two movies and go in depth into them, including spoilers. So like there, there'll be episodes where you'll want to have seen the movie before I talk about it. But I plan on doing those with guests. So I want to find a guest who, if you're if you love this movie and want to talk about it, let me know and we'll do a spotlight episode and we'll just really dissect this movie. So do let me know. But yeah, this movie's just fucking outstanding, and I've I've still have yet to see a movie by Denis Villeneuve that'll top it Blade Runner's close Sicario's even close all his movies are close because they're all so fucking good but this movie is just perfect for me absolutely love it so at number 7 is Prisoners at number 6 is one that I mentioned already while mentioning another film on this list you're probably wondering where it's going to show up well it's here it is Garth Evans' The Raid from 2011 I'm not going to call it The Raid Redemption, which is what it was called in America, which is a fucking stupid name. It sounds like a sequel that way, and it's just daft. And you should see the fucking poster for it too. The original poster is just of a, this guy looking up at a building, and I'll explain why in a minute. But the American one decided, oh, let's put uh, explosions and put SWAT on the back of his jumper and put a truck there and add all this shit to it. The basic plot is deep in the middle of the fucking slums of Jakarta in Indonesia. 
a cop uh well this is just one regular rookie cop among a whole bunch of them who are sent in to this big tower which is run by a crime lord and it's kind of the same plot as dread a lot of people were like how the fuck is this happening there's two movies of the exact same plot coming out but this is uh this came out first and just a happy accident nearly but dread obviously has a lot more sci-fi and style and whatever else going on this is basically 20 cops you're following the point of view of one who are sent into this building full of drug addicts and criminals who have to fight through 30 floors up to the top to get to the the drug dealer or not even 30 floors i think he's like on the 15th floor but there's 30 floors in the building and they have to fight their way and kill their way and do whatever they can through this barrage of violent machete wielding martial arts learning criminals and it is the best action film of the decade simple as for a while like obviously die hard is my favorite movie and it's obviously my favorite action movie and like you've terminator 2 and first blood and all who are in that list but when i saw this movie my first instinct was that's the best action film i've ever seen because at the time it probably was like of that decade of my age of the time where i've been alive when it's been released that is the best action film to come out it has completely changed what action movies are about now action fight scenes and movies they thought the born movies did it if you look at the fucking born identity again and listen to that action scene the, the audio in it it is embarrassing and while the action is well choreographed and everything it is not as amazing as you remember this though has changed everything fight scenes are all trying to reach this bar that has been set and nothing has got close the raid 2 nearly did but this one just changed everything it's a simple setup fucking 20 cops hundreds of criminals to get to one dr- drug lord in a big fucking tower block that's all you got and you're seeing some of the most nasty action-packed brilliantly choreographed vicious fucking fight scenes that have mortal combat level violence throughout and it's just again if i could make this movie i could i would <laughs> because gareth evans like it's just a welshman who's like i love martial arts i grew up watching all these fucking martial arts movies i'm gonna make one and he made this and fuck me it is something else it's something to fucking behold and i love it so it is the best action film of the decade and yeah that's there's not much else to say it is simple brutal and amazing and both films are amazing and anything he does i am on board with so the raid from 2011 at number six finally we're down to the fucking top five we might actually get this done in a reasonable time although i probably am pushing fucking three hours again for all i know i don't even want to check but this is the last of christopher nolan's movies that are on this list it is 2014's interstellar i got to see this in every format and i am delighted i got to see it on dcp i got to see it on blu-ray i got to see it on 35 mil and i got to see it on 70 and all of them were amazing although i think i might hold 35 mil up as uh, the best i got to see because it's in a, a nicer cinema i prefer the lighthouse to the ifi but also it was my first time seeing it so it just made it a bit bit better that way by not knowing what i was going to see got seen 70 mil was still deadly but it was more i was more watching the the 70 mil than i was watching the film this film is incredible it's it's one of the best fucking sci-fi films i've ever seen it's so fucking ambitious and what they managed to do without cgi is out of this world they did so much research and preparation into how black holes work and how space works just to get everything as accurate as they could and all the scenes of people who were on ships 
the outside you've seen are actual screens being projected rather than having a green screen and they throw it in later this is all really happening outside so they can actually react to the environments there's moments in the movie that are just heart stopping i couldn't believe i remember being in the cinema sweating and it was just fucking amazing the general plot is the world is basically falling apart there's every kind of strain of crop or food that's being grown is dying and the world is looking at options for different planets to move to and inhabit so that they can move from this planet onto a new one and start afresh or start anew whatever the fucking word is and in order to do that they have to go on a mission to define these planets they've opened up a black hole that'll lead them to these planets and obviously make things a lot easier and you have Matthew McConaughey who's a NASA pilot who is sent on a mission through space and time with Anne Hathaway and a whole crew of people I think what's that guy's name what I'm forgetting it now David Oyolo however you pronounce his name just a whole crew of people who are basically sent off to space in order to find these planets that they can actually live on and they have a few in mind that they've sent people on missions before and these have to go out and find their distress beacon and see if, if, if there's actually a planet that humans can live on i don't want to give too much away about this one as well because there's a lot of mystery and suspense and it's christopher nolan so you know it's going to be some total head fuckery but this movie is unbelievable and hans zimmer does the score as well it could be his best score it's one of his best for sure and it's just the tension that it brings with this music much like dunkirk is you don't know what's going to happen and you can't really relax in certain scenes there are moments of this is lots of levity there's lots of moments they can relax but when when the tension comes on and the music comes in you are just constantly on edge and it is fucking amazing it's so ambitious visually amazing it takes a lot of influence from 2001 a space odyssey odyssey with its visuals and geez i've been talking for so long now my mouth has actually got a fucking mind of its own this just does things that are incredible the set pieces are amazing as i said there's moments where my heart was just fucking racing just thinking how are they gonna get out of this an amazing cast as well you've got matthew mcconaughey anna hathaway michael kane casey affleck timothy chalamet uh jessica chastin john lithgow wes bentley topher grace david oyolo as i said and did i say michael kane already he's in it too uh just a fucking phenomenal film and it's could be the most well it's hard to say because nearly every christopher nolan film is extremely ambitious and amazing but this might be maybe up there maybe inception could be a bit more ambitious because there's a lot going on it took him nine years to do but for the research and preparation that went into this and accuracy it is just fucking out of this world pun mostly intended there i absolutely love it i've seen it way too many times or sorry i've seen it not enough fucking times way too many for the average fucking movie viewer maybe but for me it was just i could watch this movie every fucking day almost it is incredible it's long as well it's one of those really satisfyingly long movies but if you could ever get a chance to see this in the cinema take it because it is fucking amazing that's all i have to say so at number five interstellar and number four i'm not gonna spend any more time on because i've talked about it a million fucking times in the last basically from the first episode of this podcast i probably talked about this movie it is of course the best film of 2019 and number four in this list quentin tarantino's once upon a time in hollywood 
I've already gone into great detail about it. You're following a down on his luck actor who was like huge in Western movies and shit like that. Uh, or Western TV shows who's now trying to break into the movie scene and not going quite as well as he hoped. And you're f- watching his story of him trying to get his career on track while he's trying to get jobs for his stuntman played by Brad Pitt. Oh, by the way, the lead actor is Leonardo DiCaprio. All the while in the background you have glimpses at the the life of Sharon Tate played by Margot Robbie. So that's about as much as I want to say about this movie. It's pretty much a hangout movie with Tarantino's name all over it. I absolutely love it. My favourite film of 2019 I'm, I'm exhausted talking about it at this stage because or you're probably exhausted hearing about it uh, but huge cast Leonardo DiCaprio Brad Pitt Margot Robbie Emile Hirsch Margot Crowley Quali, sorry Timothy Oliphant uh, Dakota Fanning Bruce Dern Mike Moe Luke Perry Damian Lewis Al Pacino and again loads of people you're going to recognise which is probably going to be a fucking quote I could probably get t-shirts made from this podcast of just things I fucking said a billion times over but I've seen this movie four times now. I know people who have watched it 12 times, even though they've only fucking seen it for the first time about three months ago. It is a masterpiece in every way. It is the perfect love letter to all things movies. Laid with atmosphere. Kurt Russell, I don't think I actually mentioned earlier. He's in this too. And Maya Hawk, briefly. It's two hours, 40 minutes of pure Tarantino fucking indulgence. And I loved every fucking second of it. It is a masterpiece. And it is number four in my top 100 of the decade. We're nearly there. At number three, we have the movie that I mentioned earlier as being one of four that were in my best of list because I kept kind of switching them around. This one, though, has obviously taken the first place because the more I watch it, the more I absolutely adore this fucking movie. And it is a movie from Panos Cosmatos. It stars the legendary Oscar winning actor Nicolas Cage. And it is called Mandy from 2018. This movie is something else. I, it's so unique and crazy and fun and exciting and horrific and just visually mind-blowing. And it's set in 1983 and it follows a guy named Red who lives with his wife Mandy. Or, it's not whether they're married, but he lives with Mandy, played by Andrea Riseberg. And Red is Nicolas Cage, obviously. And... When their relaxing lifestyle is, I suppose, destroyed horribly, it sends Red on a vicious journey for vengeance against a group of Manson-style cultists. Don't want to say any more than that. Just go into this movie... You don't even need to take drugs because you'll feel like you're on drugs watching this movie. This movie is just such an acid trip of madness and visuals and craziness. It's Nicolas Cage possibly at his best. I mean, probably his most incredible performances are when he's doing drama. But this is just him at his most visceral. And again, it's the thing people probably laugh at going like, oh, Nicolas Cage is doing magic. It's like, no, he's just, he's amazing in this movie. He There's one scene in it where it's about a minute long and he goes through pretty much every single emotion you can imagine and it's fucking amazing he is brilliant in it it is full of horror movie madness and violence it's another one of those movies i just wish i was the one to have made it because it is perfect i absolutely adore this movie there's nothing out there like it 
And again, you've familiar faces in it too. Linus Roach, Ned Dennehy, and probably my favourite is a surprising appearance from Bill Duke, who I haven't seen since Predator, or at least movies around that time. And he, I mean, he looks older, but he still looks the fucking same. So this movie is mind blown. Amazing. Fantastic. Incredible. All those words that I fucking use all the time. This movie is it. And there's nothing like it. And the score is the final score of Johan Johansson. So this holds... uh, The fact this wasn't actually nominated for an Oscar for score is fucking criminal. He should have been nominated for it. Because this score is amazing. I listen to it all the time. And if there's one flaw this movie has... Which when I saw it wasn't a flaw. Is the credits at the end are silent. And there's a song on the soundtrack which I love that isn't in the movie. I think it should play over them credits. I think it might have originally meant to play over the credits and they decided not to at the end. If there's only one thing I could change it would be that. Otherwise this movie is perfect. And it is probably my favourite Nicolas Cage film. Other than Raising Arizona which is my favourite comedy of all time. So Mandy from 2018 at number 3. Incredible. At number 2 we're finally... So close to the end now. I'm wondering has anyone guessed at this stage what I would have in my last two. At least in my last one. I mean, I don't think it would be surprising to some people. To other people they'd be like, oh I wasn't expecting that. But at number two I've talked about in great detail. Sometimes on this podcast but in general. How this is just one of the best films of the decade. And it's so close to being the best. I think it's one of the best written. It has the best characters. has the best arcs. has incredible cinematography. It is stomach turningly violent at times like I know people who are had trouble a friend of mine only watched it recently he had to look away it's also a western it's also kind of a horror film and it's entirely a masterpiece and it is S. Craig Zahler's Bone Tomahawk from 2015 this is the first movie of Zahler's I saw I remember when I saw the poster I just saw Kurt Russell western horror and the name Bone Tomahawk I was in and then when I watched it I was like okay this guy's one of the best directors I've ever seen. And I was right. Because Bronze Hebok 99 and Dragged Across Concrete are the proof in the pudding as they say. This film is perfect. It is essentially The Searchers. Where a group of savage cannibals have kidnapped a doctor or a doctor from a village and a prisoner and have gone on the run with these people. And you have a group have a posse that has formed consisting of a sheriff the doctor's husband and just some guns for hire and the deputy all gone out to try track them down that's all you need to know you have amazing performances from kurt russell patrick wilson matthew fox lily simmons is in it david arquette and you've sid haig making an appearance too the late great sid haig but the person who really steals the show, who I mentioned before, was robbed of not only an Oscar an Oscar win, but an Oscar nomination. He puts in one of the best performances I've ever watched. He puts in the best performance of his career, and maybe one of the best of the decade. And that's Richard Jenkins. His performance in this movie is blindingly good. Absolutely amazing. Sharp, smart, brilliant writing. Totally unpredictable. When it needs to be creepy and strange, it is, but it's most it's mostly a heavy dialogue-driven western, and it is just perfect. I, I can't see anything wrong with this movie. 
I've watched it several times and I'll watch it several more. Bone Tomahawk from 2015 by S. Craig Zahler is number two on my list of the best movies of the decade. Here we are at number one, finally, even though now my fucking mouth and throat are fucking as dry as a nun's arse, and especially because I have a bit of a cold too, so it's been even harder to talk for this long at this pace, but I've got it out of the way, I've got it all done in one sitting, finally. Here we are at number one, my favourite film of the decade from 2011. You waiting for it? Nicholas Winding Refn's Drive. I fucking love this film. And I this is the movie I mentioned in the last episode that I saw nine times in one month. <laughs> because I just got addicted to this movie. It is fucking perfect. In every single way. Whether it be the framing. The cinematography. The colour. The lighting. The fucking. The music. The acting. The violence for a start. The the fucking story. I just love every little fucking detail there is to love about this movie. I think it's perfect. And the pacing as well. A lot of people found it too slow. I think it's perfect. It is probably the most influential movie in terms of getting the the whole 80s scene back because every fucking everything now is to do with the 80s and synth music and all that this movie started that as far as i'm concerned because the score for this movie borrowed a lot from the 80s and all these sort of new retro wave bands stemmed from this movie just i don't even know how to fucking describe it right it follows ryan gosling as a skilled stuntman who like he works on Hollywood movies, he's just amazing behind the wheel, but he moonlights as a getaway driver for criminals. And by doing this, he gets involved with some shady characters. The guy who sort of is his, for lack of a better word, manager is Brian Cranston in an amazing fucking performance as well. Really understated performance, I think. Um, But he ends up having a new neighbour. Which is this lovely blonde woman played by Carrie Mulligan. And she has a little son with her who he sees as a potential future for him. Which will get him away from the life of crime that he has. But things get shaken up when her ex-husband who's just been in prison. Or I suppose maybe not. He's an ex-con but is still her husband. Comes back into the picture played by Oscar Isaac. Which is I think might be the first thing I saw him in as well all those years ago and he's obviously huge now with Star Wars and whatever else but this complicates things and drags him further into a world of violence again I'm trying to be vague if you've seen this movie a lot of people have this is probably one of the most famous movies of the fucking decade anyway easily referenced most famous and like I said going from this to Only God Forgives was a ballsy fucking move but this movie I just remember from the fucking opening seconds of this movie I was like okay I already kind of love this. By the time the opening credits came in, I was like, I really love this. And all the way through every scene, I was like, I love every fucking second of this. It is, it's barely even like watching a film at this stage. It's just pure comfort at this stage. I can just throw it on and I'll always enjoy what I'm watching. I remember every frame, all the dialogue and a great characters. Like I said, you have Ryan Gosling, or sorry, great actors. Ryan Gosling, Carrie Mulligan, Brian Cranston, Albert Brooks, Oscar Isaac, Christina Hendricks, Ron Perlman. And many more familiar faces. Um, it's such a rare position to be in where you have heaps, I mean fucking loads of style 
but loads of substance as well. Like it's, it's rare you get a film that can fucking do that. I think Ryan Gosling puts in a fucking amazing performance. He's almost silent for a lot of it. And a lot of people thought he was just shite and just stares at everything. But if you really, fu- if you know what he's fucking doing in those scenes, he's amazing in them. And the way it's handled is so good. And it's just, it's amazing that you can have such a dark crime story and a love story mixed together as well as that. And there's a lot of visual cues for that, especially with the music that are just amazing. And it's just, I guarantee anyone who watches this will recognise a lot of the music that's used in it because it blew up because of this movie. And I just think it's a fucking, it's a complete work of art. I've seen it a million fucking times at this stage. I got the Steelbook on day one, which is worth a fucking fortune now. I also got to see that garbage fucking uh, re-edit that Zane Lowe did, which he should be fucking locked up for. Um for BBC One although the artwork for the Blu-ray of that is really nice and it's a shame because it's a fucking garbage version of the movie but yeah it's just I adore this movie in every single fucking way it is perfect it's one of my all time favourite movies and unsurprising to maybe some surprising to others it is my favourite movie of the decade so I'm going to do a quick recap and then I'm going to put you out of your fucking misery having to listen to me for another stupidly extended amount of time so here we go. And number 50 is Joker. Number 49, Birdman. I'm not going to even say the full name. Birdman. Number 48, Predestination. Number 47, Nightcrawler. Number 46, Blind Spotting. Number 45, Victoria. Number 44, Mad Max Fury Road. Number 43, Climax. 42, The Lobster. 41, Inside Out. 40, Green Room. 39, Sicario. 38, Animalisa. 37, The Revenant. 36, Spotlight. 35, Straight Outta Compton. 34, Bridge of Spies. 33, 10, Cloverfield Lane. 32, The Hateful Eight. 31, The Wailing. 30, The Nice Guys. 29, Hell or High Water. 28, La La Land. 27, Arrival. 26, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. 25, Good Time. 24, Mother. 23, I, Tonya. 22, The Death of Stalin. 21, The Raid 2. 20, Marriage Story. 19, I Heard You Paint Houses Slash The Irishman. 18, Dragged Across Concrete. 17, Brawl and Cell Block 99. 16, You Were Never Really Here. 15, Dunkirk. 14, Kill List. 13, A Ghost Story. 12, Logan. 11, Manchester by the Sea. 10, Blade Runner 2049. 9, Hereditary. 8, The Hunt. 7, Prisoners. 6, The Raid. 5, Interstellar. 4, once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 3, Mandy, 2, Bone Tomahawk, and number 1, Drive. So, you've made it. I've made it. We've all fucking made it through this embarrassingly long podcast I said would be half the length of time I actually did it for. I uh, will no longer con- <laughs> agree to do a list as long as this, unless I can break it up into more parts, because this is uh, excessive. So it took me six hours to talk about 50 movies. Or to talk about 100 movies, I should say. Um, then again, I am going more detailed than the average list might be. But fuck me, was this tiring. Um, thank you all for listening, if you got this far. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening to part one as well. Although you could listen to the start of this and just get a whole recap and save yourself the time. But if you want to know what the movies are about, that's what you have to do. Um, but yeah, this was ambitious. I'm not going to do any fucking list like this for a while. I do have, like I said, a top 40, but I'm going to definitely split that up or do it over a period of time rather than dedicate a whole fucking episode to it because it just took forever. So thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you disagree with me, please let me know. If you agree with me, please let me know. If you want to talk about any of this, let me know. If you want to do any spotlight episodes, let me know and we'll arrange something. Um, 
so yeah we'll be back to normal for the next episode it'll just be i'm gonna try fucking just do it as an hour i want to just do a regular hour podcast people can just fucking enjoy and get all the shit i need to say out of the way we'll see if we can do it let's uh let's all join hands and fucking hope for it so until then i'll see you next time thanks for listening you're all cunts goodbye